You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Cast, your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. As always, I am your host, Nathan, and we have another great episode lined up for you where we have our second part of our RPG episode. Yes, for those of you listening, it was just last week that we did part one, but for us, it's been four months. So, <laughs> so I got a notice- Christmas hat on. That's how, that's how long it's been. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so if you notice any discrepancies, that's the reason why. Uh-huh. <laughs> but let's check in on our cast this week. It's the same as last week. Uh, so first up, it is my buddy, Sean. How are you doing, Sean? I'm doing good. I'm, I'm doing quite well. How about you, sir? I'm doing all right. Things are going pretty well over here. Fantastic, fantastic. But yeah, everything's going uh, pretty quiet. Um, gosh, what, what was the last time we talked about? Had Corday had her surgery? Had we even talked about that at the time? I don't know if we've talked about it online. Uh, we might have. So for your listeners, from last week to this week, in the four months, um, basically our eldest dog, Corday, um, had developed a, she's been slowly developing this mass on her back and it was diagnosed as a tumor. And so we had to basically get the whole thing excised. And it was the size of a pretty sizable ball, um, like mm. a tennis ball on her back. And she's only an 11, 12 pound dog. So her whole back looked like it had been cut open and flayed in order for them to take this thing out. Um yeah, but they told us, oh, it's a fatty mass. Don't worry about it. It's a fatty mass. Don't worry about it. And it started growing really fast. And so we went to a new doctor and he was like, this is not a fatty mass. We need to worry about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, he did a great job. She recovered fantastically well, but it sucked the life out of us for a good six weeks, just rehabilitating mm-hmm. her, making sure she was okay. But, you know, for a dog that's going to turn 16 in a matter of days, she is just amazing. She's she's bouncing around and she she's she's living her best life. She's actually more active now than she's been for at least a year and a half. So yeah, nothing great. but good things. But yeah, that's what happened to us over the week break, aka four months. <laughs> so yeah, but other than that, it's been fantastic and she's doing great. So um yeah, everything's great. Yeah, if you if you want to know how funny it is, Dragon Con has happened in the intervening four months. So <laughs> seriously. Yeah, like it, it was Dragon Con and uh, uh I got back from that and then I was starting to make all of our orders for Pop Cycled, and then boom, we got hit with all the, the shipping delays, and then Corday had to go in for surgery. And it's just been wow, it's been it's been crazy. But honestly, it's been great. And uh uh I'm, I'm really glad we're near the end of the year because uh you know, next year's gonna just be awesome. So we're just gonna keep on going and you know, bigger and better. All right. Yeah. And it's great having you back on the show, Sean. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. All right. Next up, it is also my friend, Kimmy. How are you doing, Kimmy? I'm doing great. And I'm very glad to be back here. (laughs) All right. Excellent. And what's been going on for you in the last four months? Oh my gosh. Well, uh, I'm a teacher. So I've been teaching in a like pseudo pandemic, like we're still in a pandemic, but kind of not. It's a little weird. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's a bunch of rules and 
a bunch of stuff we have to worry about all the time. Um, and I also recorded an EP with my band. So, which is very exciting. So I'm in a nerd band called the Mary Sue's and we do covers of songs. We also do some original songs. So shockingly, we're doing two songs about D and D in this EP. Mm. So, or tabletop games in general, but one of them is D and D. So that's hopefully going to come out, I think in like a week. So it's the, so like the, probably the week of like Christmas. So we'll see. So we're excited about that. We're getting like the cover art all done and finishing the mixes on that, which has been uh, a long process, like writing the songs, practicing the songs, like getting time enough because like two of us are moms and we're all adults with with jobs and like just just get, the rehearsal schedule alone is wild. You guys know because you guys have to like try and schedule with me for this podcast. <laughs> that's already tricky enough. So but yeah, so that's been super fun and a long time coming. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah. Um, and sorry, I also released the beta of my uh my RPG Starscape out. So it's mm. a PBTA hack about uh, emotions and trust in space. So it can do like Firefly and Farscape and Star Trek. And so the beta is out in the world and I'm getting feedback about it, which is super exciting. So uh, if you want to check that out, you can go to um, my itch page, uh, itch.io slash golden lasso games. And it's for free right now. So <laughs> get it now while it's free. <laughs> Wow, you're just living the glamorous life of a musician all the way around. Oh, yeah. Super glamorous. <laughs> Let me go tell you about my toddler in the other room. <laughs> all the glamour. Yeah. Hello, but it's great having you back on the show, KB. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. All right. And finally, finally, it is our resident Conan expert and the master of the marquee himself, Mr. Mark Finn. How are you Greetings doing, Mark? Greetings from the North Texas Apocalypse Bunker. <laughs> That's right. That's a new development since yeah. in the last four months is, yeah, that you're in the North Texas apocalypse bunker now. That's right. That's right. Uh, a going concern. In fact, uh, that bright light coming from behind me in the closet is uh, the beginnings of what are going to end up being my recording booth mm. where I will be sending out um, podcasts uh, starting next year. Uh, the first one of which is the North Texas Apocalypse Watch and Family Fun Hour, a 30-minute program. And uh, that's going to be across between Greater Tuna, Parks and Rec, and Northern Exposure. Oh, interesting. Prairie, you have my attention. Prairie Home Companion, of course. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, you have but my with attention. Mutants. Yeah. All right. Anything else uh, going on for you in the last few months? Uh, the dog is uh she's still on condition yellow uh my 11 year old has uh developed arthritis in her back legs and i live up 40 feet of concrete stairs Oof. and so right now she is convalescing uh in waco where there are no concrete stairs while we uh, let the medicine that she's on do its work and so so far that's going well but uh currently the old bunker is a little empty and i'm feeling it you know, in my yeah. feeling place, but it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas because I did all my shopping. It's never Christmas until I'm done with that crap. So yes, haha. <laughs> I got. He said it with such emotion and feeling too. <laughs> oh my God! Yes, uh, the 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 fez is up. The Christmas feet are on. 
And thankfully, the rest of the uh, holiday season is going to be a, a, a freaking joy because I'm done with shopping. There's only wrapping, and that's a venal rather than a cardinal sin. So awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, that's that's good to hear. I'm glad I'm glad that things are looking up for you. And, uh, you know, you got you got fun times ahead. Fun times ahead. Yes. All right. Well, it is good to have you back on the show, Mark. Always a pleasure to be here. All right. So normally we'd have a five minute controversy here, but heck, this is really just one big episode with just a four month (laughs) delay. So we're going to skip that. And uh, but we are going to pause for a promo from another fine podcast. And then we're going to come back to do part two of the RPG discussion. Hey, Martha. What? Do you like nerd stuff? I do. And do you like adult beverages? I super do. (laughs) Well, then you should join us with a drink. With a drink. With a drink. Um, But first, let's talk nerdy. Clink. (laughs) On the ESO Network. We'll see you on Tuesday. Maybe next Tuesday. Maybe. And so, like I said before, we are continuing our discussion on RPGs and something that I want to throw open for everyone, especially um, because, you know, my my experience while I played a little bit of several different games, I don't have, I think, the breadth of experience that all of you have. So I was just curious about games, you know, sort of outside the D&D, you know, because we kind of discussed D&D quite, you know, quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, last time and it does become sort of a an easy go-to because it's the one that most people have some exposure with and so it becomes sort of almost like a default you know tabletop rpg but games that you've played that uh you really enjoyed and that give the flavor that uh you know that you really really like so uh let's start with you on this one mark like what what are some games that you've played? And, and of course, everybody, if you've played it also, like jump in if Mark mentions something that you're like, oh yeah, this. And, and you know, just things that people might not have experience with. But even though like some that are out of print or whatever might be good to talk about, I, I also want to though talk about something that maybe somebody can buy now that, you know, is not D&D that might be something that might be of interest also if you've got any of those. Well, two that immediately jump out at me as things that I graduated from D&D to back in the 80s and early 90s uh villains and vigilantes oh, uh, yes. which is superhero gaming mm-hmm. and uh call of cthulhu uh, mm-hmm. which i think is i feel like that's everybody's second choice almost i certainly in the 80s it was uh there you know like that was the it was like that was okay if you oh i don't play DD anymore what do you play well it better be BattleTech or call of cthulhu or you know you're just the weird kid in the game shop which makes you like like weirdly weird you know uh and that's cool you know there's nothing wrong with that but call uh what i liked about villains and vigilantes over champions was it was really easy to exploit the point system with champions um if you if you knew the math uh you could tweak it and so my hundred point character and your hundred point character 
are going to play and, and work very differently because of how you or I have built them. Whereas with D, with VNV, you can sit down, you can go, I got a character with 100 in strength and I can go, okay, then he needs to fight a villain with 110 strength. You know what I mean? Like there mm. was, you got to set that limit and you could move things around. Uh, I, we played the hell out of that. And, and, and Call of Cthulhu, I really enjoyed a lot for the mostly for the pulp angles but also the the storytelling aspects i love the mechanic of call of cthulhu how much can you learn before you go nuts and putting that up front was one of those things that uh uh it, that was that's a unique game in that respect at a time when we were all trying to find ways to narratively keep a character alive in D or you know uh play a game where where death isn't really on the table so much like with vnv call of cthulhu leaned into it you know, yeah. and and so that was one of the things that I, that uh, was uh, significant about it. The the sanity mechanic is such a small thing, but I think it's probably one of the most influential uh, mechanics in in a in a role playing game in terms of what it has spawned and what it ended up doing and kind of the way it framed sort of the argument. Um, and uh, the, the third game that I played that was academic because I realized after the fact years later that this was a game really for game designers and, and writers, and that's Paranoia. Uh, I love Paranoia to a degree that's a little un, unrealistic, but you you can't just throw that down on a table and say, let's all play. Oh, you yes, you can. <laughs> oh, I disagree. Hold on. I'm sorry. I was trying to let you get through it. But yeah, paranoia I've heard is stories exactly what we're doing paranoia. right now. You break in on each other and you cause chaos. Paranoia is, um, I don't give an F and F and I'm going to blow stuff up. And then Big Brother says, oh, no, you're not. And you got to make sure your clone gets the hint. If you um, get the, uh, if, if everybody's in on that, then then yeah, I think it's great. But oh, it's so good. Okay, uh, explain explain the background of paranoia a little bit though, because you know we're you guys are talking about paranoia, okay, but so, you haven't explained paranoia. So so paranoia basically is what would happen if the movie Brazil met uh, uh, 1984. Uh, I mean, it, and honestly, Brazil is kind of 1984, but it, yeah. it is a comedy about the the entire sci-fi community global. Uh, infrastructure is controlled by one master computer and this master computer doles out uh, instructions and you start out at a level what was it red uh no um uh orange orange okay so it was orange and so you work your way up the color spectrum until you get to like ultraviolet and stuff and the idea is that oh it is red you have, you're right you're right it is red it's red it, orange, it might be red yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I forget but whatever yeah. it is basically you're dead meat i mean like there's no way you're surviving this right and your the responsibilities that the computer gives you is that you're basically supposed to go and like fix this tunnel or go and fix this toilet and immediately if the the, the storyteller uh, or, or gm is worth their salt they immediately pull you into a conspiracy so immediately you start to meet other people who are trying to tell you to betray Big Brother, the computer. Mm -hmm. And the computer is always looking for spies. So in a group, normally one or two of you are anarchists and you're trying to destroy Big Brother. And some of you are loyalists and you're all going to die. And then your clones are going to get that memory downloaded. And then you're going to have to continue, but you're going to miss little details and stuff. And you are guaranteed to die. Like you do not survive this game or at least no. your first clone doesn't survive this game. It yeah. is chaos and it is so stupid it is hilariously fun yeah yeah and and it, it but that's the kind of thing it requires it requires somebody that understands that farcical satire uh yeah. vibe you can't play it straight you have no, to play absolutely it not. 
you know, you have to play it larger than life and you have to play it. Uh, uh, the, the, the ads for it were great. And really, I think set the tone and Jim Holloway's art on the first yeah. edition was inspired. I uh, love them. But um, those were, those were the games that, uh, that moved me. There, mm. there were other like short tabletop games that I played like Ace of Aces and Lost Worlds uh, that are no longer around because we have computers that do what he did right way better but the fact that he did these things as books ace of ace was a dog fighting game where you fought world war one and world war two airplanes didn't that just get re-released and they just do a new version of that like fairly recently i don't think so Uh, i could have sworn i read an article about that coming back and then the 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 answer to it was lost worlds which is where we each play a single fighter in hand-to-hand combat and like how it works is I'm the guy with the chain mail and sword and I give you my book and you're the guy with the skeleton with a scimitar and you give me your book. And so I do moves off of my card and turn to your book and you do moves off of your card and turn to my book. And, and the way that you tell each other what you do cross references it. So if I jump high and you swing high the picture of me is getting dazed because I've been knocked on my ass. And, and I see a picture of you swinging high and I go, oh, this will not end well for me. <laughs> it was a fantastic game. And it was, you could play it in 10 minutes. You could play several games. You could switch up the characters. It was wonderful. And it was, uh, uh, it was absolutely an artifact of that time period, you know, because computer games sucked uh, back then. Uh, but but this you could you could control in a way that you couldn't. Uh, uh, Ace of Aces was fantastic for it. Basically, took a hex based war game and turned it into a picture book, <laughs> where you literally were looking at the side of your airplane at the other guy that's coming right at you, and then you have to your next maneuver. You tell him what your next maneuver is, and he tells you what your next his next maneuver is, and you've either turned away from the gunfire. And now he's at your tail and firing on you, or you've, you've uh, turned under him and, and you've passed uh, on, on the other side. So you're both like tail to tail and, and the tactics in it was just fantastic. It was a really great way to like conceptualize going straight down to the game board and looking at it, you know, at that meta level. So I love, you know, all that stuff, but, but the, the two big ones for me were Call of Cthulhu and, and Villains of Vigilantes. Um, I played them well into the nineties and until I stopped the first time. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Villains of Vigilantes are, is an amazing system. They brought it back and they've done so many different clones of it. Mutants and Masterminds is basically a direct lift of Villains of Vigilantes. Um, heck, Villains of Vigilantes actually got a comic book release. Yeah. Um, and I actually own the comics. There's actually comic book stacks behind me under this table, and I actually have them in there. Um, Written and, and illustrated by the two guys that came up with the game. Yeah, um, they're not Jack. great comics, I'll be honest. Um, really wonderfully illustrated, but the stories are not great as far as like, you know, crunchy writing. Like the, the stories are actually really, you know, kind of pulpy superhero stuff. So it's a lot of fun, but the actual writing is, eh. um, but that's okay because it was a role-playing game first and you're supposed to do the writing. So it's, yeah, it was an artifact of the game. In fact, the right. module that the, that the box game came with crisis at Crusader Citadel, the comic books were what happened after crisis at Crusader Citadel. Mm-hmm. And so at the back of each one of the comics, there's stats for the yeah. updated characters mm-hmm. and dude, we lost our freaking minds over that. That was just the coolest thing. Oh my God, she's changed powers now. She died. Now she's got like Wraith abilities. Oh my goodness, that's so cool. 
yeah, there's something yeah. wrong with us. Um, no, I, honestly, that was one of the cool things about that system. Um, but then you, you have Call of Cthulhu, which is literally the other spectrum. I mean, mm-hmm. if Villains of Vigilante says, I want to be the, you know, you know, granola crunching He-Man, She-Ra type, ah, Call of Cthulhu is like literally the first time I played it, they said, look, this is not like D&D. You're going to die. You're not going to die. I'm sensing put in... a theme on your table here. Yeah, right. the, first well, no. time, the first time I heard of Call of Cthulhu was reading the foreword for the Babylon 5 role-playing game by Michael Straczynski. Right. And he talks about he had never played a role-playing game before, but Larry Dottilio, who was one of the other writers on Babylon 5, was like, hey, man, you got to play this. Play it with me. And he's like, so, you know, you spend your time, you make your character, you play the game. It's like, oh, you die. And he's like, oh, like, what did I do wrong? And nothing. Larry's like, nothing. You didn't do anything wrong. And he's like, well, well, how could I have won? And he's like, there is no winning. You're going to die. <laughs> you go against like an elder god. And yeah. he's like, I- I've never understood RPGs, but I hope you like like this Babylon 5 RPG. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so. I mean, quite honestly, Call of Cthulhu was like the worst intro to role-playing games, I think. Unless like somebody sits down and says, okay, look, like, this is not traditional like role-playing games, but mm. that's the thing that I love about it is because it's all about building atmosphere. It's all about story. Mm. There's really no combat in that. And, you know, at the end of last uh, episode, you know, Kimmy was talking about trying to get away from stuff that has so much combat, you know, trying to do stuff that's more crunchy, more storytelling and Call of Cthulhu completely follows into that because yeah. as soon as combat starts, you die because everything that you encounter is a supernatural elder God or, or Shugoth or unless you are the, um, oh, what are they? The, uh, the researchers, the, 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 um, even they, yeah, even they, like you may be able to dabble, like you might be able right. to cast a spell. It's like, this might protect you for five seconds. Right. Yeah. Like <laughs> I, that's what I love about Call of Cthulhu too, is like, mm-hmm. it's, it's a game about survival Mm-hmm. Um, and you are like, hey, I might know the city really well. Um, and like my last character in a Call of Cthulhu game, I was like a great shooter. Mm-hmm. Didn't matter. Doesn't right. matter. Like stuff from the other plane comes after you. Like they don't care about guns or anything. Yeah. So you have to like you end up with like slowly kind of like circling the drain, <laughs> basically. And and is a good like description of a good Call of Cthulhu game. You're like far out yeah. in the edge. And then slowly you're just in and in and in, or at some point your character's like, I'm out and leaves. And then you have to make another character. But you kind of have to start at the, you start the game, you start the campaign, like knowing there's only one way this is going to end. (laughs) There's no happy endings at the end of a Call of Cthulhu game. Unless you you just peace out. Yeah, I mean, there's technically three endings to a Call of Cthulhu game. One, you're you're like every person who's smart and says, nope, and just leaves. Right. That's that's option one. And that's not very fun because then you have to make a new character and that person is going to get tortured. Right. That's a bad option always. It's like you have to right. make a character from the beginning that, you know, is going to like buy in and, and just go all the way. <laughs> right. It's going to right. engage with the world because if you're not engaging with the world, you're not playing the game. Playing. Right. Like you can't be the character who's watching the movie was like, I never walk in that house. You have to make a character who's willing to walk into that house. Right. So option one isn't that great. Option two is you go insane and you wind up in an insane asylum and spend the rest of your days knowing exactly what's going on but everybody treats you like you're a crazy person because you are and of course option number three is something really really bad gets you in the darkness and you're never seen again um and that's the great part about that and what i loved about growing up in the 80s and the 90s and playing these role-playing games was you have D &D on one side you have call of cthulhu on the other and if you take them individually 
One teaches you about just hack and slash, beat the crap out of the monsters. The other one is the monsters will absolutely wreck you and you have to be smart. And even then you're still not going to make it. Yeah. And if you start to weave down the middle of that, you start to find this really nice road that can give you really interesting combat, but also give you really interesting story. Because I feel like neither one of those games in the 80s or the 90s did the other particularly well. Cthulhu was great at telling story, not great at combat for obvious reasons. D&D was all about the stats, not really about the story, unless you had somebody who was really creative. But a lot of folks, they would just memorize those dungeon guides and whatnot, and you're just ready to go. Um, but then you get those creative few who would merge them and then you get some real magic. And that's the, the great part about role-playing games is, you know, you could take a little bit from column A and column B and then smash them together. You get something really yeah, cool. I, I used to remember you'd have like your array of books and it was like, mm -hmm. here's like Mekton Z books with like yep. D&D books with like mm -hmm. all this. And you would just like pull stuff out of them and just like, you know, make them work within whatever like world that you were doing. So well, that was know. because nothing ever covered everything I wanted to I, do. You mm -hmm. know, so I would have to, you know, like I mean, one of the games we play, we'd start off being in an anime setting, right? Yeah. But we'd want to introduce a fantastical element into it. So I'm like, well, okay, I can't use you know anything that they've released because they're all boring and dumb. Well, who's done fantasy really well? D and D's done fantasy really well. Let me go get my AD and D monster manuals. You know, these big mm -hmm. freaking tomes and flip them open. You know, remember back. In the day guys where they had the um you, you buy the uh the, the punch card ones and you get yeah, the, 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 yeah. the, the triper yeah i had tons of those trapper binders um well i think i have like three or four somebody gave them to me when i was a kid yeah because we were basically playing mecton z even though we were kind of starting to take the first steps into when you were developing your own game and basically yeah. like you had mind flares in mecton z you know mm -hmm. which is like you know that's not a traditional thing in mecton z which is a big mech battle game but there were right. mind flares you know you know so, and then yeah. i would and then i would I, and i then I would uh, swerve right and I would say, oh, but you guys also have cybernetics. So then I was like, well, let me get my cyberpunk 2020 out and I go look at that. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's what I love about those games. But yeah, I love Mark's choices. Like everything about Mark said, like cosine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I know we're still on Mark's choices. I'm sorry, but yeah, I, no, like, it's I fine. It's fine. everything that he said. And it's paranoia, mwah, like that's like the best choice. I love that choice. It's so, uh, yes. No all choice. The yes. It's choice. Mm -hmm. It yeah, is. It's, it's a so choice, choice choice. It is a choice choice. Okay, so Kimmy, we're going to have a little time at the end where you can plug your own stuff, but like games that you did not develop. What were oh, yeah, some no. games that you played? <laughs> no problem. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have done that. Okay. <laughs> um, I I love playing so many games. This is. I'm like, I have ADHD, like I legit mm. do, but I also like have ADHD when it comes to games. I've played so many different systems and I love switching it up like every six months. Mm -hmm. I have, to, I think that I have to just by default mention um, the World of Darkness games because mm. they were so massive and they had such a giant impact on people coming into gaming. Um, you know, it tapped into that vampire, werewolf, mm -hmm. like kind of like aesthetic mages, changelings, fae. Um, that like a bunch of people were really yearning for in a very different way that hadn't appeared in gaming quite that, that same way. Um, and just like really took over a big like section of the, the gaming culture. Um, I really enjoy those games. Um, I really enjoy fifth edition, which has come out. I know that vampire fifth edition when it was first released was a little bit problematic, but they've gone through and the company's done a really great job of cleaning up some of the, 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 the issues with that and getting rid of the people who wrote the problematic pieces in the game. So if you pick up the new copies of Vampire 5th Edition, it's really nice. Um, I really love the hunger mechanic that they added. Um, it really just like adds, because a lot of times when you play the older versions, of, the older editions of Vampire, it was like, hey, we're superheroes who are sexy and are only out at night. 
like people didn't really lean into the fact that, hey, we're also terrible monsters. Like, it's like, oh, I'm going to eat this sexy person over here, but he likes it. So, and then I'm going to go save the day. It's like, okay, but are you a vampire then? Or, you know, are we in rice? Good. All my experiences with World of Darkness are the very old school, the ones that they pulped you know, yeah. uh, that, that Sean had. And, uh, and yeah, we played like a fairly decently long mage campaign, but we merged it in with his werewolf and vampire groups that he had nice. run previously. And it was like, this at one point thing. there was, there was 20 people at the table at one point, 20 <laughs> right. people, but that was because the, wow. the changelings had finally met the vampires had met the werewolves had met the mages. I was able to pull four groups together and they were all playing their own game. And I had, and I'm like 17, 18, 19 at this point. And I'm like, so this is the story and this is where you're at. And it basically all culminated with, cause we were all, we were at the year 2000 and that was the, the, the big moments. Uh, and so the year 2000 was when Cain arose from the dead. Right. So right. they were all trying to stop Cain from rising from the dead and they mm -hmm. failed miserably and he got <laughs> the hell up. Um, but then they put him back in his hole. But yeah, um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was cool. It was a really cool moment when I was able to actually grok that out. I was like, but, I did it. But what so I with did, twenty I, people, I would say that's like more of a LARP, even if you're all sitting <laughs> on a couch. Like, like, we were actually out. It was out. It was outside. It was a really long table. It was yeah, LARP. Okay, I, I, at that point, I do you're just, just say this though. <laughs> I do just want to say I'm this kidding. though. When we were playing those early first edition games. It was the same time that Blade was coming out in movie theaters and The Matrix was coming out in movie theaters. And yeah, that no, was yeah. the perfect time to play that, that version of White Wolf because Blade was like vampire. Like there was so much yeah. about the aesthetic and the tone of it that it was just like, because we were like talking about it like afterwards, like, oh my God, like that's the powers like in the book, like just he did the thing. And and then like uh, Matrix, it was like, this is a mage game. They're just saying that it's like all computer code, but really the things that Neo is doing are the things you can do as a mage because basically in mage you're hacking reality, which is, you know, it's just, a, you know, hacking a computer, whatever. It's the same thing. It's a virtual reality. Yeah. Reality. No, and mages so... are terrifying. Oh, they're, they're awesome. terrifying. Yeah, they're so cool. <laughs> but we had yeah. one uh, in the last uh, a vampire game I played. There was like one mage who was an NPC, and she was like this little old lady who owned a bar. She was so scary. Like we like, she was like the most terrifying thing, and we were all just like these badass vampires, and we're like, oh, don't piss off the little lady. Don't, don't right. Well, uh, and that was the thing yeah. was one, one of the things I did in our game was I, I tried to give everybody a reason to work well with each other, but also want to kill each other. So they were they were constantly wanting to like, so the thing I did between vampires and mages is vampires always wanted to uh, eat mages because their blood was like just laced with crack, basically. They were just like, they're like, it's like cocaine and all the good drugs all in there. So like the vampires, like you'd hang out with a mage and, and the mages know because the vampires are like, they get close, they're stiff in their hair. And I would slip them notes like, hey, if you, if you want to get frisky with the mage, go for them, you know, but they get to fight back, you know, and, and it, they never did. My vampires never got the gumption enough to go after a mage, but. That would have been fun. No, uh, yeah, <laughs> it would have been a very short fun. Right. Um, <laughs> well, as a storyteller, I would have enjoyed the chaos that would have happened yes, at the table. Absolutely. Um, but the thing, the thing that the White Wolf games encourage that I really appreciate is they 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 encourage more of the getting into the aesthetic and the role yes. whereas like a D&D &D tends to be more of a mechanical adventure unless you have a, a DM that's like really encouraging mm -hmm. that sort of thing or you're like the one guy that comes in dressed in robes or whatever and everybody's looking at you funny which isn't <laughs> like which isn't like a good you know like thing like right. but like the White Wolf games like actually encourage that 
amongst everybody and like like mm-hmm. sean some of sean's friends who had been playing with him for a long time like they had like rent had his glove you know that he yeah, would wear had the glove. Mm-hmm. you know and you know they just had their little things that were like these are things it's not like i'm coming full-on dressed up but mm-hmm. it's just like these things that are helping me get into a character little, that's yeah, like little touches right yeah. that's letting me get into the aesthetic of the thing and and like yeah. i say with movies coming on screen that were very much in that same sort of aesthetic it just Absolutely. made it a really cool yeah. time. So anyway, well, I'm sorry. there was, there was definitely like the on-ramp of Interview with a Vampire in like mid-90s. Oh, like Jesus. that was, yeah. yeah. Like there was like, it was like a massive thing. Um, and that was when I started was when when Interview, like I think about a, six months before Interview came out was when I got my first vampire book, which by the way, for the record, anybody who's listening to this and yelling at their 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 uh, media player, we were playing second editions. We were not playing first edition. Oh, okay. Um, but for Nathan, it was basically first edition. Right, yeah. I, just like, I just know they're the ones you can't get anymore because they pulped them all. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. I, I mean, look, there, there are problematic things in there. But, you know, the way I look at it is, look, we didn't know any better at the time. We, You know, it was the 90s. But to be fair, we never did any of the problematic stuff that was in those games. We always stayed away I, from that because we were very welcoming to all people. And we didn't yeah. want anybody to feel uncomfortable in our group. And when we did, I always felt bad. I was like, oh, we were too mean to that person. Like, there used to be, like, this thing um where like like we would almost challenge our players like no this is like we we, we take it hard here we got you got to be like crazy you gotta you gotta really get into the game and it would alienate people and i'm like yeah let's not do that anymore let's not let's not alienate folks let's bring them in um and uh yeah but it's still you know you try to make everybody have a good time try to make it a place where everybody can you know enjoy themselves and there's some stuff in those old books that are just that's not what it's written out to be and so i would just skip over those pages like yeah i'm not gonna do that (laughs) just keep on going yeah yeah so yeah no absolutely and that's super important as the gm and as the playgroup to like figure that all out i think we talked about session zeros in the last Mm -hmm. session Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. or in the last session in the last uh episode yeah (laughs) we were all in the previous edition we're we're role-playing at podcasting right now yeah it's all the same We, we intuitively did those session zero things before we had there was a language to discuss that right but yeah that was absolutely uh uh how, how that uh worked you know there was there's you know call of cthulhu what was nice about call of cthulhu was that it was written uh set in the 1920s and 30s mm-hmm. but the books never dealt with any of the more problematic aspects of the early 20th century mm-hmm. in fact some of the supplements you know would say hey this was a problem we don't recommend that you do that, <laughs> you know? And so there was a real, everybody, th- you know, there's a, this kind of notion that everything prior to 10 minutes ago was, you know, horrible and foul, but you know, all the, all the chaosium guys w- were in Berkeley, <laughs> you know what I mean? So there wasn't, they weren't going to write stuff like that and say, this is the game we want you to play. That wasn't ever the takeaway for Call of Cthulhu. The takeaway was how long can you last against the forces of eldritch horror? Whether you were a person of color or a woman or whatever. And in fact, you know, that was one of the cool things about those types of games. And I played justice incorporated from, uh, hero games which was also pulp style role-playing in the 1930s you got to kind of address that and sort of deal with that by saying basically we're not gonna go there so i you know i liked it i i I liked that that you had that sort of agency yeah absolutely 
I just want to say, um, you know, I mean, session zeros, not everyone does them. I've actually found out from playing with lots of different people that it's kind of an unusual thing. They don't usually do one-on-one time with the GM, but I always insist on one-on-one time for every player that I have where we discuss the character and we talk about, you know, like background and stuff like that and get that all settled in because I don't like playing things generic. I like creating a story that is that is specific for the player care you know the characters that the players right. are bringing um right. and so so it helps me it informs me but also i want to give the players things that if they want to if they want to like run with something you know it's like oh here's an idea what about this and then they can add that to their backstory and of course that is something that i learned from sean sean did the same thing we did the one-on-one time uh yeah. but uh but yeah i, I think it, it adds so much value to the game yeah, and, and one of the things I, I'm sorry, go ahead, Mark. Oh, no, I was just going to say also, though, again, because this is I, I do want this to be kind of like something that people who aren't very familiar with tabletop RPGs, but can uh, listen to this episode and learn more. Uh, so we kind of talked a lot about, uh, you know, things and we're kind of throwing things around about the world of darkness. But basically, White Wolf or, or the world of darkness is basically a system that encompasses several different games. You know, we kind of mentioned vampires and mages. There are also werewolves. There are wraiths. There are changelings. I think, is their superhero game also part of the world of darkness aberrant? Or is aberrant like a special, like a separate thing? That's yeah. a different thing. You're thinking okay. of Exalted. You're thinking oh, of Exalted? Exalted was the same system, but okay. the, that was a system that was more geared toward, it was the same D10 system, but it was geared towards combat. Oh, right. White Wolf and made it, it was, but yeah, it was, right. yeah, okay. It was separate. All right. But anyway, I mean, because we didn't play that, but I know that they have that game available. And so I wasn't sure about that, but yeah, basically. So I just wanted to explain that to people. Um, but, but yeah, could be, we've kind of like taken your thing and we've been like super running with it. Um, but, but yeah, I oh, guess it's Sean... totally fine. That's great. Okay. Well, that's what you do in role-playing games. You right. take somebody's idea, you just run with it. Right. And that's a whole game session. Cause somebody no. said, Hey, let's go get ice cream. And then... right. uh, Sean, um, but yeah, Sean, what, what were you saying? And then, yeah, let's go back to Kimmy in case she has other things that she wants to, to mention. Well, the, the one thing I was uh, thinking of was one thing that I always encourage people to do, especially when it comes to role-playing games, especially if you look at older editions and you go back, um, one of the golden rules that I've always worked under is take what works, leave the rest behind. Because mm-hmm. I feel that anybody who is too beholden to a rule set or a mechanic set or to a problematic aesthetic, that you're taking away the wrong thing. Take the stuff that works, leave the rest behind. You know, it, it's like... Yeah, you know, like become creative with your source material. So if you go back and you want to read second edition of Vampire or Mage or Werewolf or whatever the heck, and you're like, okay, I'm going to take a look at this. You're like, oh, wow, those 14 pages, I really do not like, you know, metaphorically rip them out and do not use them, you know, or or whatever the case may be. You know, Um, if you make a mistake with a player, I've certainly had my fair share of making mistakes with players, apologize, make sure they're okay. And as long as they're okay, then continue on. Don't belabor it once you have the conversation because that's something that a lot of folks will do in role-playing games is that you know dms or gms will feel like they've completely screwed up and if your player says no actually i'm okay you know you you, you handled that you know and you've had your conversation then continue on and if not then of course handle it you know and, and make sure everybody's okay um and don't feel bad if you made a bad story choice you know and then say oh well we're going to try to do something different like 
having the ability to change and grow and to do new things is really key. And that's the same whether you're using old editions of games or whether you're brand new to something. It is the ability to learn, adapt, and grow. It is so key. Um, in almost every game that we've mentioned that's not D&D, that's like a core mechanic, which is, hey, this worked. Hey, this didn't work. Okay, let's try this now and, and, and continue to grow. Um, which I just think is so critical. So I just wanted to kind of center that because we've been kind of dancing around it a little bit. I'm like, hey, let's put this on Front Street. I call it the egg shin rule of RPG game design. Please tell me this is a big trouble little China reference. It is. Yes. It is. Uh, look what the Chinese have to work with. Uh, Taoist alchemy, Chinese black magic, Confucianism and sorcery. We take what we want and we leave the rest, just like yep. your salad bar. That's what that's, you know, I, I, we did that with D and D, you know, well, I, I also, is stupid. I'm not going to use it. <laughs> I also think we need to like mention that there is some problem with that also like pulling like actual things like that from people's cultures for gaming, like, like it has to be done really carefully. Um, especially um like for me specific you know in this group i don't want to like assume but like as a white person like for me like it's really important that i don't just go to an asian culture or something like that and pull things from games hey this sounds super cool i want to pull this especially without understanding of what it is and how important it is and what it represents to them no i just meant in in relation to the game rules got it okay that that quote from big trouble in low china was my philosophy for looking at a at a text and, and deciding what parts of it I wanted to use in the game and what parts I didn't want to use in the game. Take what you want, leave the rest. That was right. the- Got it, okay. That um, was the context I under I'm which I- I think dating myself a little bit here because I've never seen that movie. Oh my gosh, you should absolutely <laughs> see that. Uh, Big Trouble Little China is made by John Carpenter. Okay, so- No, I mean, I know, I know. Yeah. I, I'm married oh. to a film a filmmaker oh, God, but you, you, you <laughs> gotta check it out it's so great honestly it's a movie that came out 10 years too early it because what's great about it is it's a western um it basically he got john carpenter got every like chinese uh an asian actor he possibly could threw them in this movie and was like we're going to make a movie that celebrates being chinese he got all his friends together like can we do this can we do this like yeah do this oh you should also talk about like the four what uh, the, the three storms and he puts all this stuff in there and then he puts the main character in as as, as kurt russell and you think Kurt Russell's the main character, and you realize he's the sidekick, and it's amazing. Yeah. It is. It, it is. It is such a subversion of expectations. Um, oh God, you, you, that is a joyful movie. It is so much fun. Uh, it has a behold. There's an actual beholder in it too. Excellent. Okay. okay. <laughs> All right. Let's let's put that aside now. Let's go back to talking about gaming. And yeah. So, Kimmy, I, I, do you have anything else that you wanted to talk about with like games that uh, you really enjoyed? Yeah. So I said one of the ones that was sort of like like kind of like uh something that really like changed the direction that a lot of RPGs were going in so I'm going to kind of mention and that was like that was in like 90s was like the mm-hmm. golden age and the start of the world of darkness vampire and it's gone strong since then um but so now I'm going to mention something that's a little bit more modern which is the powered by the apocalypse games which I am a big fan of um that were started by the Apoc- apocalypse world was the first game um they're very um narrative games and pretty rules light compared to a lot of other RPGs um and so they're like the flip of the coin. If um, 
like I, I love like like I really like GURPS actually. GURPS is like I can plan every single tiny thing and make it as simulationist and real as possible. The opposite side of that, the, the opposite of that is powered by the apocalypse or PBTA for short, where it's like, okay, like there's playbooks. So it's like you don't really build a character, you're like, hey, I'm going to pick this character, and they're all big archetypes. Hmm. So each playbook is like a major archetype. So for one of the best known uh, and one of my favorite PBTA games is actually called Masks. And you're basically playing teenage superheroes. <laughs> so the playbooks are like the beacon, which is like, you don't have any superpowers, but you love being here. And this is awesome. So you're like, you know, Robin or somebody else. And it's like, you probably shouldn't be on a superhero team, but nobody's saying anything because you've got this costume and kind of hold your own. And then there's like the outsider who is like the starfire. You're like from another planet and you're a teenager and you, you want to be here. And this is amazing and how fantastic it is. So you grab these playbooks. Um, they're ready-made. They're like a menu basically. And you get to go through and circle like, okay, these are my powers and this is what I look like. And this is my name. So you can get ready and get going and like, uh, I mean, I take a long time because I love world creation, but in about 60 to 90 minutes, you can be like ready to play. Everybody's got their stuff together. You've also created some backstory together. Like, how did your team come together? What was the last bad guy you fought? Like, what did you do wrong? Um, the thing I really love about masks too is like you're teenagers. So there's not really any harm in the game. There's not like a harm mechanic. You just get like upset and you get embarrassed and then you lash out at people and stuff as you like get embarrassed. And there's always these adults who are like men keeping you down and you're like rebelling against them. It just like really perfectly encapsulates like that, that rebellious teenage feeling at least as adults, <laughs> like I played it with teenagers. You're like, I, this is dumb. I don't get this. It's like, you're living this. I understand. Um, <laughs> but that's what I really like about PDTA games is they really, are, um, they're really good at narrowing down, like hitting a very yeah. specific target as a game. So like, uh, like, like just whichever one you kind of pick, they're like, this is it. And the apocalypse world when the original ones is like, this is like perfect for like Mad Max or if you're doing like a fallout game, it's like, this is post-apocalyptic wild, you know, craziness um, with tons of violence and sex, or you can go the opposite direction. And I've seen like super uh, like, like anime friendly, like, like power girl, like sailor moon type ones. So there's like a million of them out there. So you can find the one you, that you really like. Um, and they're super, um, if you've played other, other games before it can be a little weird at first um because it's like you get your you have your menu of moves it's not like oh uh, I, i'm you know this is my my armor stat and stuff actually there are some now there's so many now they've done so many different things with it um but i really enjoy it because it's really narrative and the the mechanics have you fail forward basically so you you roll the dice you roll 2d6 um and a lot of games when you fail it's like oh i didn't do it and Power by the Apocalypse, it's like, oh, I failed. Something else is going to happen. So you almost, as a player, you start like getting excited because when you when you do it, you're like, oh, yeah, I did it. Oh, I did it. Because you kind of want that mixed success, which is like the, the seven to nine role in most PBTA games, which is like, okay, you did it, but there's a cost. So it's like, okay, if you're paying masks, you're like, okay, you hit the bad guy, but you weren't paying enough attention. So you also, your your magic blast with your eye, like also hit your teammate over here and knock them out of the way. So there's always like more um, mess. It's like, you know, Marie Kondo, I love mess. 
Um, and that, and PBTA is really great at making mess and having you just like play in these messy situations where like all these wild things are happening around you. Um, and it just gets like more complicated, more complicated, more complicated. And that's just delicious fun. Okay. That's my, I'm done with my rant. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a good rant. I, I, uh, I would really love to play in a power by the apocalypse game, uh, because I don't understand it. Um, my, my elder brain uh cannot conceptualize I, I i understand the theory every you explained it really well but there's something about me looking at the menu of options and i go what if i don't want to do any of that and so it's it's I, what i need is someone to guide me through a game and i and then i think i could probably decide for real if i want to play it or not uh or, you just need to find the right playbook that's all there's well, so many play I, yeah that, that's maybe, the thing that's, so. if you don't like the playbooks and be like we'll try this one over here you know um, yeah and, and i think go you that. know because i love the, there's a lot of great worlds really neat settings and i and i look at the mechanics of some of it um blades in the dark is one that i i look at and it's very clear that that game is a is a world content delivery system I'm not playing Blades. I, sorry, I will push back for just a second. Blades in the Dark is like a grandchild of PBTA. It's ah. it's different enough that it is its own thing. Uh, oh, okay. The Forged in the Dark systems are a different system, basically. I see. But it is very much inspired by, and originally, actually, I think the first inter uh, iteration of that game, the okay. playtest was a, a Powered by the Apocalypse. And then they're just like, hey, we're going to change the dice mechanic. We're going to change how everything else works. Okay. So that's a little bit different, but um, I think, I think the key with Powered by the Apocalypse, and it took me a while to get that switch too, is like, like as a gamer, a lot of things, you look at your character sheet, you're like, what can I do? And when you're playing Powered by the, by the Apocalypse, like, like, don't look at your character sheet too much. Be like, tell the GM, be like, I want to jump on top of that building. Right. And you're just like, okay. And then the GM will tell you like, okay, roll this. And then sometimes you'll have a superpower that'll help you or whatever you're doing, but literally like you can try anything, yeah. whether you succeed or whether you make a bigger mess, like that's the thing. See, that's yeah. funny. That's the way Sean always did it. Even if we were playing games with crunchy mechanic systems, like right. we usually <laughs> didn't have time to read the players books ourselves. Like we'd have our session with Sean. He would help us fill out the character sheet. So we weren't even always sure. And then like, we would just say like, I want to do this. And Sean would look at our sheet and be like, you need to roll this. And like, so I didn't know how it worked mechanically. I would just think in terms of if I was in this world, what would be the things that I'd want to do? And he would tell me what I needed to roll. And I really liked that. Well, um, that was one of my main, what, one of the big things I took away from the world of darkness is don't let the rules get in the way of story. Like, just don't let it happen. If there's a rule that's going to say, no, you can't do that. I'm like, well, screw that rule. And I throw it out the window. Absolutely. So and I that, think that's super important to all GMing for any system. Like, like I've, yeah. I've run GURPS that way. I've run Traveler that way. Like right. you can play any game that way, whether I, I think that's, um, I think that's a change from how the original games were written, but I think it's something that culturally from the beginning, different DMs and GMs just did because it's like, that's how you get cool stories. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, the, the, there's sort of, again, a, a misnomer, you know, about crunchy games, you know, being so specific. Uh, the, the systems are some are usually there. One of the things that I think has been the best, the best part of fifth edition has been this concept of 
you get to set difficulty numbers and and you have advantage and disadvantage those mechanics let you as the as the gm really uh game you get to gm on the fly you know there's no diving into the books you know oh you've got that well make it make that roll with disadvantage because that's going to be a really hard thing for you to do right now because you're you know at the end of the world uh but uh yeah so i love that uh and and that would be the thing that um i i think maybe it's the structure of the 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 playbook that sort of uh throws me um since it's not strictly speaking a character sheet and um I, I there's some things i really like about sort of like uh narrowing things down into here are the eight archetypes we're going to deal with you know uh I, there's always that one person in the game you know where you, you go okay everybody so what we're doing is four color superheroes and so we're going to have a power and a defense and a utility and everybody's got a thing and you're all part of the same team and there's one person over on the side that goes i'd like to be an intelligent bear <laughs> yeah exactly you know um, why can't like, i be an intelligent bear yeah you know so so yeah i love that i love that sort of funneling you into you know a, a specific role particularly because i've noticed those worlds are really um I, I i i find the worlds great to read they're very they're intricate and you know those archetypes are designed to interact really well with those worlds i think it's very well designed uh, I just think I'm too old. <laughs> I think I that may be I it. disagree. I disagree. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I, happy to be proven wrong. I really am. I mean, and this is kind of like the point that I was trying to make last time, though, about how as the GM, you have to decide when when it's time to trump the rules and when it's time to just let the story flow. And so even in systems where they're not designed around that way, those, those are decisions you have to make because you shouldn't be beholden to the system so much unless you are playing something that can be played as a war game. Like, you know, if you're playing D&D as a war game, as just a miniature combat game, you know, like- right. Warhammer 40 then, Yeah, I mean, yeah, right, adhere right. to the rules because it's just like any other kind of war game, right? You know, I but, think the like, edition's really gotten away from that. Despite, it's, it is still combat heavy, mm -hmm. but there are more- tools in fifth edition as printed now for storytelling than ever before um i love backgrounds that's the other thing i think that that they did for fifth edition that is brilliant uh because um you have to pick a background and as soon as you do you show up at the table with something that the dm can hook into a story yeah, I love that. That is yes. such great. And uh, and that's uh, one of the great things that PBTA does too. I think that's something that is starting to be a part of lots of game design. And I've mm -hmm. been so excited as a as somebody who runs games as GM. It makes yeah. my job so much easier. Yeah, um, totally. Yeah, and I, I was so excited when we played 5th edition and that was there. I was like, yeah, that's so good. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I'm, I'm kind of on the other side of that, which is... I love the idea behind that, but I feel like in a lot of cases, you know, like they're just making more rules to make more rules. Um, and this is not a, this is not pulling away from fifth edition. I think fifth edition is a very good system for D and D, but I look at it and I'm like, there's just too much here. And, and I look at them like, they're just trying to grok out every what if and or sometimes like I, I look back on those old world of darkness games, or I look back on older editions and they're just kind of like, just go with it. 
and just make it up. Backgrounds are great, but sit down with your players, have a game zero, you know, and work out your own backgrounds. You don't need these templated backgrounds. Just talk with your players. Right. What do you want to be for five minutes? Right. So, so when and then I you understand- just make that kind of stuff up. So for me, I'm like, I would love for more systems to like, because this is how I would always play my games back in the day. If we were playing a mage game, I would have two books. Basically, I would have the Book of Shadows, which is their expanded kind of like, these are all the different uh, 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 types of mages you could be, and the actual mage book. Done. If I'm playing Vampire, I'm basically playing with the Vampire Core rulebook, and then I would have maybe, maybe a source book if they were like in Gary, Indiana, which is like a big deal in the Vampire world. If I'm playing Werewolf, I have the Werewolf book. I don't need anything else because it's Werewolf, you know, and I like that. Everything else was completely superfluous, and I feel like with 5th edition now, they make amazing supplementary material. They've expanded so much stuff, and it's all really good, crunchy, very fun, compelling stuff. But sometimes I just want to just make it all up. Screw all that stuff. Just give me one book and just let me go. Um, and hell, even with D&D, I need three books technically. Just this is my core books, right? I need my player's handbook. I need my monster manual. And I need my DM guide. Like, And I'm like, just give me one book. You know, I, I kind of like hate that. Um, but that's, of course, the person in me that just wants to kind of do a lot of stuff on the fly because I like to be a little bit more just kind of shooting from the hip. So, I feel like fifth edition, they've actually like done a really good job of like, well, yes, you still know need those three books. Like right. you kept it to those three books. It's yeah. not those three books and this supplement. Oh, and right. you need this. It's not 15 books like it used to be. Or- yeah, well, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's and I mean honestly, you can get away with it just with the PHB. I mean, if you really want to, you don't need the monster manual or the DMs guy. You right. can really get away with just the PHB As if you want player, to. Totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And they yeah. and I, I that's something I really appreciate about fifth edition also, too. As someone who like doesn't want to buy a million books it's like <laughs> i can play this game with this one book if i have to and that's fine right. so sean i uh the the thing i'm working on for fifth edition which is uh the it's called polite society it's um role-playing uh oceans 11 with the fellowship yeah. of the ring cast uh, um there's a lot of backgrounds in there that 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 um feed into a a, a thief rogue heist mm-hmm. style game and uh because the backgrounds are what all the thieves come to every heist with baggage you know sure. uh whether it's an ex uh lover or you know i owe somebody a lot of money so i'm gonna do the double cross or whatever but one of the things that i realized early on was because i was doing this when, when games i was playing i'd look at uh bonds and ideals and things like that and i go well i don't like any of these here's six ideals for the noble and i kind of think they all suck so in my game i'm actually building a a a separate table of 20 different uh personality traits ideals flaws and bonds that if you don't like any of the options in your thing you can roll or look at these and, and and choose one they're not specifically tied to the background but it's still something that would fit in a in a in a thief or a heist style game. And so I you can mix and match. I think that for a first timer, it's really important to just choose one and go. Because as soon as you sure. figure out how to do it, you can totally and that's what I did. As soon as I went, oh, I can hack this, <laughs> you know, and then it sort of opens up like a flower. But you have to uh I th- I think you have to sit through it once. Uh because there's some good stuff in there, man, to, for fledgling characters to come out with a, a personality trait, a, a motivation, a reason for doing what they do, and something that is going to come and bite them on the ass three sessions down the road. Boy, you do that does a lot of heavy lifting. 
for you as a as a as oh a it game. absolutely can yeah. i mean it, it is it, and again like i said there's i i find nothing wrong intrinsically with what they've done they've done a lot of really great development you know but in my mind i'm like because i'm like you like i don't necessarily i look at like the noble background and i'm like i don't care about any of these motivations these are crap motivations and my right. friends they'll, they'll constantly ask me do i need to pick one of these I'm like make up your own you know, like, write up your yeah. own. You don't need to stick with that. Like, I immediately, like, just throw that out. I don't need that. You know, who's the, what's the thing that's going to bite you in the butt? Just come up with something. And, like, right. one of them, I swear to God, was like, I am going to always screw up when I'm around alcohol. And I'm like, what do you mean around alcohol? Be specific. They're like, if I'm in the physical proximity and within three game sessions, I had them near a beer uh, distillery, basically. Uh, and, and they had to fight a yeast monster. Like, and this character had all this crap that was happening to them because he was, he thought he was being, you know sassy like oh no you're not with the, I'm with the beer and i'm like okay here comes the yeast monster bro yeah. and, and they loved it you know a, so a yeast golem that's fantastic basically yeah and it was all because of what this guy did like he literally like he gave me all the ammunition and, and nathan will tell you i'm that guy i will listen yeah. and i will just write notes down like oh that's interesting idea. okay you literally then, said hold my beer yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I, was I like, love okay. it fantastic yeah, so I mean, but that's me. Uh, I'm sorry, Kimmy had her hand up, and I kind of jumped in there for a second. <laughs> so, that's okay. Um, I did want to say, like, a lot of people say PBTA is a great starter game for people. Mm -hmm. um, I find it's a mixed bag. It depends on the person, because yeah. um, sometimes there aren't enough kind of guidelines there. So, mm -hmm. um, right. like, like you were saying, like D and D sometimes is, uh, or a game more like that is a sometimes a better starter game, even though there's a lot more to know with a good GM, you can say, oh, roll this. Okay. And you can kind of like make all the back end stuff a little bit invisible for them. PBTA can be great. Um, like kind of depending on the person, if it's somebody who's done like improv classes before, like mm -hmm. things like that, like this could be a great starter game for them. It could be better for them than something that is a little bit more structured. Um, so like, like kind of think about that. If you're bringing new people into the hobby, um, mm -hmm. like there's lots of different options there, uh, and kind of think about the individual person and what, uh, what thing might be better for them. Cause like Mark was saying, like, fifth edition like has like this great setup to like here here's a great character it's interesting if they want to be creative with it they can if they're like a little bit intimidated and just trying to like hang in there it's like okay just circle one of this just pick one of the things it's there um roll, so that's roll really a die. Yeah, roll yeah. a die you don't even have to pick if you if you have like if you're frozen in indecision it's like roll a dice and it'll do it for you yeah. um so so kind of think about that because i think bringing people into the hobby and bringing people into new games is one of the best parts of doing podcasts like this um so yeah just like really as you're listening to us describe all these different systems it can be a little overwhelming um but like like look and pick and you can find more information online um but if you do know what we're talking about in depth then like like some of this can be really great on-ramp for people i feel the same way about the fate and the fudge games they're fantastic but if you it seems like it'd be a great starter but you kind of need to be somebody that has played role-playing games and sort of knows how these conventions work because we're going to be shorthanding a lot of stuff there. Right. And so I have found that, that those games, especially fate uh, core games live and die on the GM. Hmm. Yeah. Those yeah. are so, they, those are even more open world than, than PBTA. Right. I feel like PBTA came from people who were like, okay, Fate is a little too much. Let's bring it That's back right. just a little bit, people. Like a little bit more rules than that. And then, right. uh, so I 100% agree with that. Because even yeah. I, sometimes I play Fate and I'm just like, this is a lot of wiggle room. I'm not, I'm not sure what to do. I always, 
I think I do. Would a that be the thing that I wrote down on my character sheet? <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Well, yeah, because in Fate, for people who don't know, you get to kind of uh, name your own stuff. So it's mm -hmm. like aspects, and you're like, I guess this applies to this. I always try when I'm running Fate or when I play Fate to give like these weird rules. Like, okay, we're doing this, um, but everything has to be a song title. So like stuff like that. So it kind of gives people parameters. So suddenly they're like Googling and like suddenly they're like, okay, well, I'm gonna, you know, walk five, you know, 5,500 miles. And it's like, okay, you can go forever. And like, so it, it just like helps give a little bit of like guidelines. Or the devil. Totally, 100%. And for those of you who like, because we're kind of dancing around it, what those systems really are, are centering on is the ability to just kind of think on your feet and just to do a lot of improv, just to kind of come up with your own gag. Um, and, and whatever that gag is, then you can kind of take it to the nth extreme. So if you're like, I'm going to be a chipmunk that really likes firearms, you can do that. You know, you can make that happen, you know, or yeah, I don't know, you could just be a dog that wants to get belly rubs. I mean, it, it, you could do whatever you want. And that's kind of the cool thing about these systems is that you could be as what we call crunchy, which means that everything that you do has to have a rule. I want to give a guy a hug. Well, there's a hug mechanic in d, &D. <laughs> You know, we call it grappling, but it's a hug mechanic, you know, or you could do something like fate, which is, you know, I get, you know, as Kimmy said, use song titles to kind of, you know, define what you can do and how it applies to you. Um, and then you could say, well, I'm only going to use David Bowie songs. So it's going to be a lot of space stuff involved. So, so several times last yeah. time I brought up the zombie Orpheus Entertainment gamers movies. Um, mm -hmm. they, they're actually doing now gamers the series, and in gamers the series, one of the things is they've found like this old like game that's out of print, and one of the things is like people are going to do like a grapple thing, and they like have to pull out like a whole sub book with like yep. charts and tables of like you roll, and then you got to roll again to see like where you're grabbing them, and then you got to roll to see. Oh. It's just like it's Brutal. way, way, way too granular on all the decisions and all the roles you have to make for something just as simple as I'm wrestling with somebody. Yeah, and, but and, it's and, you know, illustrative it so of what often. some games actually were like. It's just uh, taking it a little, you know, it's making it a little uh, sat satirical. It, it happens so often. Somebody says, I want to grab them. And you just hear everybody go, oh, <laughs> like just, can't you just slash at him with your sword? No, I want to grab him. And oh. then you're just like under your breath, you're like, you son of a Grappling is the, 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 that is the silver bullet to any DM on old crunchy mechanical books. It just, yeah. oh, it's terrible. You remember right, Top but, Secret had this great cross reference table uh, because because two because people of different fighting styles could be fighting one another, mm -hmm. and so there was a there was a matrix that you would line up your things on. And it, it, it was, was an Excel sheet, people. It was a printed yeah, Excel it was, sheet. It, it literally, oh God, it was so It was bad. a spreadsheet with uh, with X, <laughs> Y, and Z uh, to indicate like who hit, what damage, when, when did this, or if those things just weren't even applicable. And you'd be like, what do you mean I can't kick right here? Yeah, it was just, uh, they so tried. Bad. I mean, it, like, you know, on one hand they tried, yeah. but on the other hand, they failed. So, so my so. first gaming experience was with an anime mech game called Mechton Z, which I've mentioned. And one of the things about that that was, you know, uh, I guess maybe an, it was a step too far, but was also kind of cool in a way was like the idea of you had to see where you hit you know, like what part you hit, you know, in most games oh, yes. now it's just like you hit and it's sort of generic HP or whatever, but you can add that to any game. I purchased a die and that die just has like body parts. So if you want to have a description of, you know, somebody hit 
at somebody in a particular location you just roll that die with everything else and it's like oh that that damage was done to the leg and if you want to make it you know however you want to make it you can do that but you can add those kinds of rules on the fly like you don't have to be behold if the game doesn't have a rule for it you can yeah. add the rule in there to to do that kind of thing so uh but yeah, yeah it makes it a lot quicker if you just have a, a the die and not have to roll multiple times for your like did you hit yeah. what part did you hit what kind of damage did you do you know and it's like you're rolling three times for every attack and it's just like ah so i have a quick shorthand rule here for anybody who ever wants to try this um because we did this with fourth edition and fourth edition was notorious for mechanically just getting stuck in okay we're in combat hell um and one thing i did is i introduced our hit location dice and so um basically what they could do is anytime they would hit it was a d12 and it had all the different body parts on it and if you hit an appendage, it was normal damage. If you hit the torso, it was double damage. If you hit the groin, it was triple damage. And if you hit the head, it was a potential one-shot kill. So, and then you'd basically have to roll. And, and if you can confirm the one-shot kill, then the, the, the monster would just keel right over, except in special circumstances, like, you know, dragons, I wouldn't let that happen. But one-on-one -on -one humanoid characters, you can just decapitate a guy. Um, and it would accelerate combat exceptionally well. And of course, nobody wanted to get hit in the groin, right? Because that's just a, too big of a modifier. Like, no. Um, but it was hilarious because I would say groin, and they all start laughing because they know that somebody got, you know, nailed in their, their private parts. <laughs> and the triple damage applies. They're like, oh. Um, and, and it didn't matter. You know, they were just like, this is hilarious. So, Anytime you can make it cinematic in your descriptions, it's always better because players want to hear that stuff. They want to hear, they don't want to hear, oh, you hit for so much damage they want right. to hear your arrow went through his eye you know piercing <laughs> through to the other end of the skull you know blood spurts everywhere they fall you know something like that you know like something that sounds really phantasm. Oh, there was a time my wife um was was shooting an arrow at, at a at a ship you know coming coming at them and at the person on the crow's nest you know and she shot and she made the shot and so again, it's one of those things that just like the arrow flies, you know, because like max distance is a thousand feet on an arrow with the maximum penalty and the arrow flies, you know, 900 feet, you know, hits the guy through the neck. He topples down gurgling, you know, and hits the deck, you know, like that's the kind of awesome stuff people talk about. Right. You know, later about, oh, my God, that was so awesome. You made that shot, you know, like, you know? so, yeah, it, it really helps, like, sort of with the immersive aspect. But, Sean, we've been talking yes. all this time, and we have not given you a chance to uh, give uh, a game or two that you uh, have that you would like to recommend. So let me think. Um, honestly, almost all the games that have been mentioned, I have played ad nauseum, um, and I've enjoyed um, one of the games that I played, and you've never actually played this with me, Nathan, because mm -hmm. I only ran it about three times, but the rules inside of it really got into my head in a way that kind of, I was like, okay, so I could see how you can do a game wrong, I guess is the only way I can describe mm -hmm. this. Um, and there's only two game systems that I've ever said, okay, they did this wrong. One was Wraith. Um, and if you've ever played the, the World of Darkness Wraith game, it's all about being dead. And imagine an entire role-playing system that's about being dead it's not about oh i'm cool i'm a ghost it's about no being dead sucks and you're basically a slave to somebody else because they've been a ghost longer so as soon as you're born as a ghost you're somebody's property and they just get to just it, it's a horrific system it's terrible and i don't know if they've ever actually fixed it because i've never played it again the only cool thing about wraith was the fact that it glowed in the dark the cover glowed and that was kind of <laughs> cool but other than that it was terrible the the yeah. other game system that i think about a lot and again these are games that i i, I think of specifically because 
they taught me what not to do. And sometimes that's just as important as what mm. to do is a game called Cult with a K. Has anybody here ever played Cult? Okay, so yeah. Yeah. Mark knows what I'm talking about. Um, cult. Uh, I saw Kimmy's screen light up on her glasses. She's like, I'm Googling. <laughs> but yeah, it's called, um, I think they've done four cult. editions of it. I cult played, with a K. yeah, Cult with a K. Um, I think I played the third edition and uh, the, it has a famous tagline, death is only the beginning. So you can see I, I was in my teens. It was a through line. Um, but the idea behind it is essentially that you can play as an angelic or a demonic character. And, and essentially, there's a, a battle for the soul of Earth because everybody is either going to be corrupted or, or, or blessed. Um, and it had such a dark feel to it that actually a kid committed suicide in Sweden after reading it. And so they got their satanic panic in Sweden because of cult. And so they're like, oh, we should, you know, ban this game. And basically what it does is it dives deeply into, you know, just what does it mean to have faith and what does it mean to do this? And, 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 and then they start making you question all the things that you just decided at the beginning of this game. And they're like, okay, but let's make this into a role-playing game. And I'm like, wow, like that's dark and heavy. And there's a part of me that loves story that says, this is interesting and I'm glad that I read this. And then there's the part of me that says, but I like to have fun in my games. So I'm going to go over here now. <laughs> and nominate, I, which is better. Uh, no, and nominee is not much better, but it's but a little bit better. But yes, it, nominee, it, at least, it, it at least was closer to the angels and prophecy than than. Yes, it, and nominee is another one that uh, uh, if cult is the quote unquote crunchy, we're going to feel about our dark feelings. And of course, teenagers love playing role playing games, and you're you're most emotionally unstable as a teenager because you're trying to figure out what you are as a human, right? Hey read this game about existence and why it sucks. That's cult, right? <laughs> so here's a nominee. Okay, existence sucks, but we have a really cool combat mechanic that lets you kill angels, right? You know, it's a, then you have Wraith, you're dead, it sucks. You know, and then you get the vampire, you're dead, but you, your blood's nice. You look you know? great so, in a jacket, yeah. Right. You look great in a jacket. You um, look fantastic and everybody wants you. Right. Yes, and, and, right and you're sexy and you're, you're dripping, you know, vampire sex. And, 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 and if you want to beat the crap out of people and save civilians, you can do that too. Um, and, and, but yeah, World of Darkness, honestly, is one of those that I cannot recommend enough as far as just the, the mechanic system of tell your story, have fun. And if a rule screws your story up, throw it out the window. That had such a tremendous impact on me that I, it cannot be overstated because it was about the flavor of the game, not about the crunch. And again, I'm not saying crunch is bad. Crunch is amazing. I love to be able to define rules, but I also like the ability to just kind of wing it. And to, to have a balance of both of those things, I think is really good because it allows you to say, this is why the game makes sense. But if you want to do something outside of that, that, that sensical sphere, you can still do that. You can jump into the chaos of it. Um, one system that I loved that we haven't really talked about, and I don't even think this, the, the, the manufacturer's around anymore, but you can still buy their games on drive through RPG, is essentially anything from Arlto Soria, which will be your Cyberpunk 2020s. It will be your Mekton Zs. Um, it's going to be your Bubblegum Crisis. Uh, they were the first people that started importing Amazon. Uh, not I'm sorry. Bleh, my brain just went... <laughs> I said import, my brain went to Amazon. How brainwashed are we by Bezos on that one, right? <laughs> but, <laughs> but they were one of the first ones that started importing anime role-playing games. In. They were really like, hey, let's license out some stuff. Um, and so one of their big imports was going to be uh, something called Bubblegum Crisis, which is a great cyberpunk. Uh, mm -hmm. It's only like 12 episodes long uh, anime series. It's actually um, nine. 
yeah, it's really not that long at all. Um, and uh, all the cyberpunk characters are female leads, which I always thought was great. And they, they wear like these great Iron Man suits of armor and like their motorcycles turn into like Hulkbusters. And it's just great. And you beat the crap out of cyborgs. It's just a fun time for family and friends. Um, and uh, what they did inside of, of the Artosaurian games is they came up with the system. They called it two things, but it was essentially the same system. It was called interlock slash fusion. Yeah. And the idea was, these are the mechanics. And if you learn these basic mechanics, you can play any of our systems that you want to. Right. And if you want to take our fantasy mechanic and you want to plug it into our cyberpunk mechanic, you can. And I loved that because I was all about, let me grab as much interest as I can from as many different you know, spheres and smash them all together. Mm -hmm. yeah. So between stuff like White Wolf and World of Darkness and then looking at how you can merge all this stuff together. And again, World of Darkness did a great job as well, merging all these different kind of, you know, gothic uh, 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 monsters. Um, and then you look at like these really crazy kind of role-playing systems. Um, I had a great time. Um, Mekton Z, which actually, I always called it Z, but it's actually called Mekton Zeta. If you ever want to Google it, mm. it's actually Mekton Zeta. Um, but we just called it Mekton Z because DBZ had just dropped like a couple of years before and nobody remembered the Zeta. They just remembered the big Z at the end. So, um, but it's basically just an anime system that puts you in charge of a big giant freaking robot and you get to go out and fight. Um, the only problem with that system, and I will forewarn anybody about this, is once you play the game, it's great. Making your robot will take about nine and a half hours <laughs> and you need an engineering degree. Um and uh, what I did is I actually found that I, I remember this is in the early days of the internet. I actually went to every website I could find back in the day, GeoCities. I was all over the place. And I found a guy who had, right? Like <laughs> Mark's over here laughing at me. He's like, but I was on a GeoCities site. Um, and this guy had made like a, a very, very like Excel version one spreadsheet that would allow you, it, it put all the formulas into the Excel sheet. So all you had to do was plug in, oh, I want to give, you know, the chest armor this rating. Boop, and it would tell you what your point values were. Um, and you could make something fairly quick. Yeah. Uh, but, oh, and by the way, just because yes. Sean, you've kind of, you kind of given me the, for anyone listening to this, who's interested in games, but it's kind of daunted, Google. Google is your friend because oh, Google's great, your friend, like yes. those auto character sheets and stuff like that, you can find a lot of them out there because odds yes. are some nerd has played the game and decided that they wanted to make an auto character sheet where it's just drop downs and you drop down yeah. and it auto populates all the numbers and everything. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I know for D&D, &D, you've got like 5 million different choices of different ones that people have made. Oh yeah, totally. You know, but like, I'm sure yeah. for other games that there's like, you know, I mean, I know for Star Wars uh, D20, there was, you know, stuff like that yep. also, but like, you know, like. There's yeah, one for champions and frankly, you need it. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And Champions is just like Mekton Z when it comes to there's just so much stuff. And if you like really crunchy like graphs and, and charts, you are in heaven. I mean, if you're like a math nerd, like these are your games, yeah. you know, but for, for the rest of us who are just like, I just need to get to the fun part. That Excel sheet saves your life. <laughs> yeah. So when they first played Mekton Zeta with me, I basically found the best mechs that I could find online tweaked them a little bit and then made a few of my own. And I had a stack of about 20, 30 mechs. And I was just like, here, pick one. And they would pick a mech. And I, nobody got to make their own mech. I, one person made their own mech and they regretted it because it took them like three hours. And that thing got its butt kicked so hard because they did not know how to balance the system. They were just like, oh, this is terrible. Can I have another mech? I'm like, pick from the pile. 
and they were much happier with their second trophy. Well, yeah, it's just like how when you go to a con, you know, you have to right. take a pre-generated sheet because there's no time to do character creation if you're just sitting down at a right. random table. Right. But yeah, it's just it's, it's a way of streamlining lining things. And, and didn't Mechton eventually come out with a book that was basically a mech catalog or something? Oh, absolutely. Like yeah. Yeah, I, they I still eventually have got them. to that point where they just like, we realize what we have done to you. So yes. here's some playable things. Yeah. <laughs> yes, they did. They did. And then they also gave you, and then they said, well, here's also the developer's book so they said well all that cool stuff that we showed you in the first book here's more stuff so yeah. for the the crunchy number nerds we've just multiplied it by two now right. um and it, it was crazy but i love that stuff and then on the flip side of that if that was a super number heavy version of this you would have something like cyberpunk and cyberpunk was great because cyberpunk basically was build your character see if you uh, want to put on any cybernetic parts. If you do, you have basically what they call a humanity score. And every time you get a new piece of metal in you, your humanity drops down. If it gets too low, you suffer something called cyberpsychosis, which turns you into a maniac and you start killing people. So everybody would try to get as much stuff in there without going cyberpsychotic. So they'd have like two points. And I would love, I would take devious glee in making sure that somebody would get shot so they'd have to get a replacement part and it would drop them right under and then they would have to start making cyberpsychosis rolls, but they seemed to enjoy it. So that was always fun. But that was the great part about those games is you could find what you wanted to do. Um, but out of everything that we've talked about tonight, the, the one system that I feel is still to this day, just pure creative, like just creativity from beginning to end would be the second edition of Mage the Ascension. Hmm. I love that series i love world of darkness but mage is so good and, and i don't know if we talked about this on the last game but um it was the it was the book that unlocked that creative like nugget in my head as far as how you control role-playing games um and i would play these games with my buddies uh, uh tommy and uh, rent and then sometimes uh, um we had another guy come in i think his name was jason I, I can't remember his name off the top of my head but it was usually only like one or two players maybe three if we got a big night and they would just go on these adventures and it was just like they were in the matrix right and the whole idea behind mage is that reality is a collective agreement we we don't uh, we don't understand that it's a collective agreement but our unconscious minds say this is what reality is and if you can get enough people to agree on it it is real so that means that back in the the, the dark ages people believed in dragons dragons were real and then enough people said dragons are stupid they're not real i don't see them around here anywhere and enough people didn't believe in dragons anymore they wink out of existence so the current fad is technology. And so all the mages that believe in technology have basically locked our existence down. And so you play a mage that works outside of that. You don't use technology. You, you believe in, you know, maybe Akashic mysticism or you believe in, you know, blood magic or whatever your particular uh, uh, role may be. But the problem is, is that because reality is an agreed upon construct, if you use your magic the way it really exists in front of people who don't believe in magic, their psychic unconscious will come, like they'll just smack you in the face. They call it paradox mm -hmm. because people say that can't exist. That's not real. So reality tries to basically wipe you out. And I, I loved this because this is still one of the, the coolest things I ever did, which is my friend Tommy played a technocrat, which is essentially a, a person who was part of the technocracy and kind of got away from it. And he threw a fireball in Times Square. And he tried to BS it. And, and the great part about Mage is oh, you have to get creative with how you make your magic happen. Like if you could say this gas pipe explodes and it creates the fireball, then if you can get enough people to buy into that, then you can basically mask your magic, right? So you could do really cool stuff, but you got to find a way to make it real. So some kind of special effect wizardry, right? And he tried one of these tricks and it did not work. 
And I said, the amount of paradox that's about to hit you is going to flat out kill your character. I said, now you can let this happen. You're, you're going to die. Like this is going to happen. Or you can let me choose door number two. And he was like, well, what's door number two? I was like, you don't get to know what door number two is. You get to either decide I'm going to die and this character is done or door number two, which also this character is done, but something else is going to happen. And he was like, okay, I picked door number two. So I said, what is the exact opposite of being a technologically inclined character? And I was like being like an Asian mystic. And I said, I'm going to create a character that's the exact opposite of everything that he is. And I said, write down all the things you love about your character. And he did. So then I went and I, I said, okay, give me half an hour. And I went away and I picked everything that was the opposite of that character. Wow. And so, and then I was like, well, if I'm going this, I'm going to go the full, uh, the, I'm going to go the full Monty. And he was playing a male character. So I was like, you're now a girl. You're, a, you're, you're one of your previous lives. One of your previous incarnations was an Akashic mage from like 400 years ago. And this paradox was so bad, you've basically switched places. And now she's in the present and your former self is way in the past and can't do nothing about it. And essentially the game progressed where they could uh, at one point, because paradox is a, a, a bell curve. And I'm sorry, I'm getting way in the weeds here, but <laughs> the, the, we're in story time now and it's gonna happen. Right. <laughs> But it's a parabolic curve. Basically, paradox starts off and it, and it doesn't actually get really bad until you get to the peak of it. And then it starts to go away. And eventually paradox wears off. Mm -hmm. So yeah. what I did is I came up with this really evil plan. I was going to let him play this character for a year. He was not going to be able to be the character named Ransom. He was going to have to play this character Yu-Gi-Oh for a year. And at one point, he was going to be able to switch back and forth whenever he wanted to between the two characters. And then it was going to start to become hard because the paradox would start to wear off. And my goal was over a long period of time, he would want to keep the Yukio character and I was going to make him fall in love with playing something that was completely the opposite of the stuff he wanted to do. And sure enough, it worked to the point where he actually went on an entire quest to keep the paradox in his system so that way he could switch back and forth between these two characters. And so then years go by and this character is like beloved in Monkstar Group, this Yukio Ransom dual character. He has two character sheets to bastard. And I'm like, I got to kill this character off. We're finishing this game. We're never going to play this anymore. I'm going to make a whole role-playing game about killing this character off. Nathan was here for it. He was yeah, a I was, witness I came to in this. for the final thing, yeah. I am throwing everything I can at this son of a bitch. I am like, I'm launching every. I put this dude right. in space. All right, but to be fair, it was insane. He would bring out a dice bag. <laughs> And that's how many dice he had to roll because of how powerful he was. He would just like open the dice bag yeah. and the dice would like fall. And it was like, how many dice do you have? He had 15 <laughs> dice. It was. He, he, 15 he, dice. He'd know. been playing this character for literally like five, six years. And at that point, uh, World, of War, uh, World of Warcraft, sorry, uh, World of Darkness had allowed you to go past level 10. Because at one point you could only go to level 10. Mm -hmm. And then they said, you can actually get to level 20. And if you get to level 20, you're like the, the power of Cain, basically. I mean, you're, you're like a god on Earth. Well, you play the game for five, six years, you're at level 20. So when he dropped dice, he dropped dice. I couldn't kill him. Guys, I, I he was literally on a space station. I blew the space station up. I was trying to kill him like Bruce Willis in Armageddon. And the son of a bitch had to roll seven tens. He had to roll seven tens. And he did it. It came down to one dice. One die. He had to roll one d10. I'm like, there's no way. There, he's already rolled six tens. There is no way this last die is going to be a ten. Nathan was there. We all watched. We made sure there was no wind. There was no nothing. He rolled a damn ten. So his character got to ride off on the sunset. And I didn't get to kill him. I was very upset. 
So anyways, go play World of Darkness. And, right. and, yeah. and yeah. if you find a guy named Tommy who's playing a just, Yeah, well, him, one of the things for me. one of the things I got from World of Darkness though that something that you did Sean was the high low. Where whenever you wanted oh. to have like something where it was just basically like is something good or bad going to happen and right. you're kind of like I'd have fun either way as the GM. You you but you you scare the players with highly you just say high or yeah. low. And yeah. they look at you and they're like, what? What's going on? High or low? You know? Yeah. And yeah. then they roll that. I mean, they don't have to roll a die. They can just say high or low. But usually they'll let, you know, the die decide for them, you know, high or right. low. And they'll take take one of their, their dies and they'll roll it. And it's okay, high or low. And then you, right. you know, determine, you know, whether, you know, you roll your die and see if it's high or low. And then it's, you know, if it matches, it's good. If it doesn't match, it's bad. It's bad. Yeah. And, and it's great because you can create things like it's a slow period in the game. You know, it's a way of just like, I have some things banked up where it's just like, oh, here's where I'm going to trigger this thing that I had banked up because it's a slow moment and I want to get things going or just because people have been goofing off and you want to like penalize them somehow or, you know, and again, you just have to be creative and like what kind of stuff you're going to, you know, unleash. But that's like kind of like the even the paradox stuff. Where yeah. it's like it was up to you to decide what the paradox effects were. I remember I was red, green, colorblind for a while. Yes. So the yep. red buttons that you should never press looked green to me. And yes. I didn't know that they were red buttons. <laughs> yeah. And so he would, he forgot about this. Right. So he was like, oh, like, okay, push the green button. Okay. I got it. And he pushes the red button because everything's flipped. Right. Good. So he's like, oh, crap. And I was like, yeah, remember you're red, green, colorblind. He's like, oh, crap. I am red, green, colorblind. I forgot about that. You know, and, and that, that's the great part. The, the, the great part about Mage is if you do something that gives you paradox, you're going to get what they pick up is called a flaw. And it could be something as silly as becoming red, green, colorblind. One time I had a person who became completely frictionless for an hour. So <laughs> they actually, they, they figured out a way to game this. This was so funny. They figured out a way to game this and portrayed it against me. And they basically had to get past like a security guard. So they just ran and they just did, they acted like it was a slip and slide and they just jumped on their belly and they just slid right past the guy. And I couldn't do a damn thing about it. I was like, oh, that's brilliant. Um, because paradox doesn't have to necessarily be a bad thing. I would just come up yeah. with something random. I would have right. these charts. I would just write up all these random things and I would just roll a D100. Oh, this is what happened to you. Boop. And then that would be the thing. And people would come up with the most intuitive, crazy solutions on how to get around their paradox. You know, yeah. um, that's what I loved about that kind of stuff. It's just, it's just, that's the kind of creativity I love in role-playing games is when you're able to just take off the gloves and just try something and see what happens. You don't have to be constrained by this chart here or that chart there. High-low was my solution to, I don't know, maybe it'll work, maybe it won't work, but it's 50-50. Um, and it was always a, a way for me to, to pull the players back in because high-low, we're, we're teenagers. We go on tangents. And so Hilo was, they know they're starting to piss me off because we've been sitting around for 45 minutes talking about Blade, where you guys are trying to figure out how to break into this building and we need to get back on task. So I'd say high, low, and they'd all shut up real quick, but it's too late. They have to pick high or low. Mm -hmm. And either it would be the, the, the solution, they would say high and I'd roll high, or they'd say low and I'd roll low, or the opposite of that. They would either get something that would work in their favor, like, oh, thank God, let's get back to the game, or something would become much harder for them. Right. Um, and still, it would be an interesting thing for them to encounter. So 
it's just a way of snapping people's attention into place i mean and again right. people start fearing the high low because they don't know what's going to happen you know a giant it was spider drops on your head I mean, you know, yeah it, it was never a malicious thing to like you know, like ruin the game it was always just a way to kind of like okay you're back like mm. <laughs> bring it back to it but high low also worked with just really funny things like whenever somebody would have a um a botch if somebody would roll a botch i'd give them a high low right. okay well how bad is this going to be? Are you just right. going to shoot yourself in the foot or did your gun explode and your face is, you know, all jacked up now or something? Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyways, yeah. World of Darkness and the Artosorian games. I mean, those are like the two formative things. I, oh, mm. But seriously, Paranoia, uh, 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 Call of Cthulhu, uh, Vigil- uh, Villains of Vigilantes. I mean, everything that was mentioned here. I mean, it, all, yes. Big, gigantic, blinking signs, Yes. Yep. Yeah. I, I I once again am astounded at how long we can talk about topics because this was one of like five different things that I wanted to talk about to wrap out our intro to RPGs section. Um, but I don't think we're going to get to the other topics. But what I did want to do is well, we got like uh, 30 minutes if you want to rapid fire something at us. Well, no, 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 no. I I I what I want to do is give you each time because you're all content creators also. Mm. And so I want to give you each time to talk about the content that you've created for gaming in general. And so um let's just start with you sean and then we'll go back around in the in the reverse order that we did before um you know you've created content for your games um you know so like what you know like 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 what do you what have you created and i think you've talked a little bit about why you create content outside of like just buying the book because you know like one of the things like when i talk to people and i'm like oh we're gonna play D &D," and it's like oh forgotten realms or eberron and i'm like uh none of the above i create my own world and it's like what like shouldn't yeah. we like shouldn't we do a world that we all know and i'm like here's my like you know document <laughs> right <laughs> like, well you know it's you funny read this Nathan. if you want to have the background you know right like, you know what's funny is that you can actually go and find so a, a system that nathan kept alluding to which essentially is a mishmash of world of darkness and and mecton z and it's all these other things D D that i made I, I called it brave epic and it literally smashed like six different systems mm-hmm. together um i actually googled it like a couple months ago it's still out there you can actually still find remnants of brave epic out on an old i think it's an angel fire site um but angel it's fire brave... still exists yeah i i was surprised too i think the hosting for the original pdf that i made from way back in the day is gone mm. um, but you can still see some of the the, the kind of like just the, the the tendrils of it that i wrote from way 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 back um because yeah, you had funny. like over a hundred pages written oh. i mean you had a yeah it was a big amount, yeah. document and it and it had everything you needed to just kind of make up your own stuff um and the idea was just go have fun with it but uh the current thing i'm working on and uh i'm hoping to get some eyes on it and i'm, I'm starting to think maybe it doesn't need to be dnd specific like make it mm-hmm. give you all the crunchy story give you the mechanics that can apply basically to anything but then just kind of leave it open to you so you can find a way to plug it in um there's this world that i've been building in our DD game for close to a decade now um the the shorthand for it is called anasari Uh, i'm sorry not anasari anasari is the the first uh, book that i'm making for it um uh but it's aliogath which is basically it's it's called the the twilight age um and aliogath is the, the 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 world that everybody's on uh and the idea behind it is i hate that we only ever get to see one 
part of a continent in mm-hmm. any fantasy setting. You go to Eberron, you go to, you know, Eberron kind of, they show you the whole planet, but even then it's like a certain region. And then they say, oh, and here's this continent over here that we're never going to explore. Right. Um, you look at Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time, right? You get the super really good close-up area of this over here. And they say, oh, and over to the left is the Shan Chan and over to the right is Shara and everything else is stupid. You know, uh, you know, Tolkien did the same thing. Like they, they're really bad about showing you the whole world because it requires you to sit down and really showcase every single little thing. And I decided that Aliogath was going to be my love letter to every fantasy setting that I love. So if you want to do Asian uh, fantasy, the first one I'm working on is called Anasari, which is kind of a blend of Chinese, Japanese, and Korean. Um, and it's all been brought together. It's really kind of interesting. Um, one thing I always hated about Legend of the Five, uh, uh, was it Legend of the Nine Rings? I think it's what it was. Legend of the Five Rings. Five Rings, Five. Legend of the Five Rings, was that I felt like they just, they were like, oh, well, everything's either Chinese or Japanese. And I'm like, well, there's Filipino stuff out there. And, the, you know, so I really kind of grabbed a bunch of different things. And I've talked to my friends uh, um, of those backgrounds and say, well, if I do this, would this be okay? I'm like, oh, yeah, I think this is really cool. You know, so like one thing that's really cool about Anasari uh, that I love is that all the monsters are basically based off of Filipino folklore. Because look, I'm sorry, if you've ever looked at the Korean, Chinese, and Japanese monsters, there's some great stuff out there. But if you want to see terrifying monsters, look at Filipino folklore. They will melt your face off and they're amazing. So like the clans are mostly Chinese, Korean, and Japanese. The monsters are very influenced by Filipino culture. You know, they're, 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 uh, uh, religious system is kind of based on dragons and there's all this really kind of interconnected really cool stuff um and i love that and each continent that i'm going to make will have its own flavor of it and i'm hoping to get this in front of a developer next year and hopefully somebody will want to you know nibble on that and then we can release it and then you can apply it to whatever fantasy system you want to but uh it will be called aliogath uh the twilight age and the first one that will be released will be anasari and then after that uh, we'll kind of go from there. There's, but there's one that's a high fantasy system that's run more or less by matriarchal systems. There's your classic D and D setting. There is the steampunk setting. There is the post-apocalyptic kind of like you were all in a desert wasteland setting. Um, mm. One of my favorite ones that I want to work on is one called the uh, Land of the Forbidden Kings, uh, which is all basically about how these people have tried to make democracy in a fantasy setting, um, but they all still kind of pine for fiefdoms. They all still kind of want to be the leader, but nobody wants to take the spot of a king. And, and what does that do politically? So everybody has their own little system that kind of plays out there. But uh, yeah, that's hopefully showing up in 2022 somewhere. But uh, that's my rant on that. Okay, and very thanks, cool. Thanks for having me. Okay, well, I'm not saying goodbye. <laughs> well, I'm just, you know, like, I was, thanks for my TED Talk, I guess. I don't oh, okay. know. Like, <laughs> I didn't know how to, like, finish that sentence. All know. right, so, Kimmy, you run a whole company about, uh, you know, gaming. So, um, yeah, I mean, like, what inspired you to create your own company? And, like, you know, what are what are the things that you have there that people listening to this, you know, can, uh, can purchase? Uh, Calling it a company is very gracious of you. I appreciate that. It's like me at my computer with like a somewhat passable website that looks pretty professional and tricks people into thinking. Yeah, <laughs> into I mean, thinking. It's, I mean, it is technically a company. It is. So, I yeah, mean, it's a, a whole legit registered company legally. Right. But um, yeah, so um, I was just like I was playing games with my friends, and um, I do I run APs and um, give it and do an advice podcast every week. I've been doing that for like twelve years now. We're a really old podcast um, at Happy Jacks RPG, um, and we were just like playing games and stuff. And then just a couple of us started like, and a couple of us being like not me started like designing games, and so I was like play testing a bunch of games for a bunch of my friends and. 
I was just playing these games and then I played a game called For the Queen, which is a card game. Um, it's kind of like an RPG, but not necessarily. Um, so as you go play through this game, you basically have one deck of cards, you draw cards and you answer questions. Um, so it's more like a story game and you don't really like roll dice or anything. And, it, and I just started playing all these little indie games um, in Glendale, which is near where I live. There's a story game night. So I just started playing all these tiny little games that people were making in the, you know, in their living room, never meaning to really like publish or anything. It was just like, hey, I kind of thought of this idea. And it just started like unlocking this like creativity in me. And I just started really enjoying that. And I started getting weird ideas for games. So I was like, okay, like I'll give this a shot. I'll do a thing. Um, the first idea I ever got was for a game that I eventually did make called Decima, which was um, a card-based world creation game. I think I talked about it last time. I have no memory of last time. I apologize if I'm like repeating myself for the audience out there. You're like, you just talked about this five minutes ago. I'm a mom and that was four months ago and I have no idea what, the, what even happened. She has seen things in the four, <laughs> in the four months. months. My yep. kid went from 16 months to 19 months. Like lots of things have changed. <laughs> well, my wife, always says, <laughs> my wife always says pregnancy made me stupid. Oh, and she's yeah. like, you lose IQ points after you've been pregnant. And so, yeah, yeah I, I understand. <laughs> well, and, and like mobility makes your stress level just go higher as your kids are like more able to climb up on stuff. You're like, oh God. Yeah. I don't have any higher shelves than this. Okay. Um, anyway, um, so Decima, uh, very inspired by by For the Queen because it's completely card-based, but um, it's not really meant to be a standalone game. It is designed to be a world creation game that you can play before you play Dungeons and Dragons or Savage Worlds or Vampire. It works with anything. It's a system agnostic game. Um, and I just uh, started playing with it and different iterations of it and um and just had a great time doing that and the playtest process as I would like started off with this hand scribbled list and I like frantically called my friend Abria and my friend Jason and like two hours later we're all sitting in my friend Jason's uh living room like trying out the first iteration of this game that I'd scribbled in this notebook randomly um and they were so kind and gentle and I will never forget either one of them for being as nice as wonderful they were and they were like okay it's messy but this really works like this is cool we like this um so it's like okay it's not a terrible idea so like that that first like being brave enough to like get people to play something and then like have it like sort of work and like slowly like do the notes process i i took that game to conventions and stuff and did play tests for about two years actually mm. um so it was like really solid um and then i learned all about getting things published in a pandemic and getting cards made in china and shipping them all over the world now in a pandemic so that was exciting um i think it was just like there's there's like there's a high very similar to like GMing when you see everybody at the table doing a thing that you kind of thought of and have like, but it's like, like amp that up even more and watch a whole group of people when you're not even playing, playing a thing that you made. And it's just like this weird, cool power trip and like, oh, is it working? Like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's pretty exciting and wild. Um, so yeah, that just got me hooked on that. So I, designed another game called Virgins and Vixens with that. Uh, that one's a full role-playing game with a mechanic I kind of made up loosely inspired by Power of the Apoc by the Apocalypse, but mostly just the the dice, um, uh, like numbers are, and, and like, hey, the chance of success and stuff like that is mostly what I borrowed from that. Um, 
And that's based on breaking the tropes of uh, women in folklore and fairy tales. So you can play as like a hag or a princess. It's the prize. So then you're a princess who's like been in a tower your whole life. So you start off as these like very two-dimensional characters. And as you play, you get more complex and you learn things. Um, and actually the way you progress as a character is by trying things and failing. Hmm. And, and, and like, the, like you have things you're good at and you can use those things. If you try things that you're not good at, like then you're, that's how your character then progresses and gets more complicated and you get to change um, like what your character's like. So I really liked that concept. Hmm. Um, and I did that actually, um, itch.io has these things called game jams. Um, and there was a, a game jam that I entered um, that was a, a seven day game jam. So I designed that game and got it all made in a week. Um, so, and I was super proud of that. That was very exciting. I work best with deadlines. So it was like, cool, I can totally do this. No problem. I didn't sleep a lot, but it turned out great. Uh, <laughs> so I really like that. Um, and then now, like I talked about earlier, uh, I've tried Powered by the Apocalypse, which is a much more complicated system than the little game that I designed before. Uh, and I am working on Starscape. Um, during the pandemic, I watched a lot of Star Trek. Uh, I was pregnant and then I had a little baby. So I was like, I'm going to sit here. And I never watched Star Trek before. So I'm going to watch Star whoa, Trek. Whoa, 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 Like ever? <laughs> I'd never, I mean, like I'd watched some of Next Gen, like when I was a kid, like nine, I think. So it was like, on so you started like all the way back with the sixties and went through the whole thing. No, I started with next gen, went through all of that through Voyager, then went back and watched the sixties. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's not, that's not a bad place to start yeah. at all. But, but I like got super hooked on that. And I was like, okay, this is amazing. And I, and watching it all back to back like that, I started mm -hmm. noticing the very clear patterns in all the different mm -hmm. crews. I was like, mm -hmm. okay, Hey, this is a PBTA game. These are all the archetypes, that's that playbook. Oh my gosh. And then I was like, okay. So I finished Star Trek and there were still, I never was allowed to go anywhere because I had an infant and they're delicate and it's a pandemic. So I was like, okay, what else can I watch? So I started like watching, what did I watch next? Um, uh, Please do Stargate. Uh, I, I'd already watched Stargate. I'd watched Stargate. Oh man, because yeah. that would have been hilarious to go into Stargate right after that, like yeah. 900 seasons of Stargate. <laughs> You were it's watching actually, Babylon 5 at one point. I was. I saw so you posting I, about it. I went through, I watched um, all of Farscape, which, oh my God, I ended up loving that show. Um, I ended up watching all of Babylon 5, which is fantastic and amazing. Uh, I went back and watched all of Stargate again because I wanted to make sure, because by this time I was like, okay, I'm making this game. And mm. I need to know all the touchstones that this could possibly be. I rewatched right. Firefly. I watched some of Andromeda, um, but Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Sorbo is kind of a jerk, so I'm not going to give him that much royalty. Um, and so I just like watched everything I could possibly think of that was even like in this genre at all to kind of uh, inform the process. And it's been super neat and it's very complicated. And I actually just released the beta like a week ago. So it's just now people are just now starting to like run it and stuff. And I don't know, there's just something I think, I think it's the teacher in me who likes designing like an experience for people to do mm -hmm. together it's like learning groups mm -hmm. and um yeah it's just cool it's just really cool to be like this is the heart of what i want you to feel when you do this thing and to like tweak it and change it and like change and adjust it until like you can get people i i think it's the same as people who write songs or who uh, make movies or anything, they're like, this is the, the emotion. This is the feeling I want you to feel. I want you to be, feel like a hero. I want you to feel like a, you know, 
queen of the dark. I want you to feel like this thing and just like, it's like slowly tweaking it and editing it just like a movie or changing the notes in a song till you like have that down. And it's just, it's cool. It's amazing. Yeah. I remember when you uh, picked up, when you were starting to watch Farscape, I was like, a Muppet's going to make you cry. You know that, right? Like, you're going to cry at a Muppet by the time you get to the end of these seasons. And you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm like, okay, just wait for it. But I think, like, <laughs> you didn't make it through season one, I think. And you're like, yeah, okay, Pilot made me cry. Like, oh, my God, Pilot made me cry so much. Oh but also Pilot makes everybody cry. Nathan, grown-ass <laughs> man. Never seen it before. I was like, watch that. Sit down. You're going to watch this. Pilot's going to make you cry. Pilot made him cry. Pilot makes everybody yeah, cry. Yeah, I, no, you, I, Pilot doesn't make you cry. You are not human. Sci-fi <laughs> has the like the worst marketing because I never watched Farscape because it looks so awful. Like all the commercials, I was like, this looks like this looks like trash. I don't want to watch yeah. this. It was the tackiest looking commercials I'd ever seen. And I'm actually watching it. And I'm like, wow, this is like a really good show. Why didn't they like you know like show the showcase this better? I would have yeah. watched it a long time ago. But yeah. uh, well, there's actually apparently they're, yeah. they're they're talking about bringing it back. So. There's a lot of interesting. It's like Fireflies right coming now. back with Disney's. Like, I, I'll believe it when when somebody. Yeah, I know. Actually... But Henson has actually said that like they're they're talking about it and they're thinking about it. By the way, have you completely caught up, Kimmy? Are you have you gone through Peacekeeper Wars and everything? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm. I've okay. done. I've so, done. Well, let's let's not talk too much because I want to make sure that Mark gets his time too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. Um. Yeah, but anyways, <laughs> but they're they're talking about bringing the kid back now that the baby's basically grown ah. up. Like you can do that. So, but okay. that's all I'll say, yeah. Mark. But please. but yeah, that's the thing. It was just before the pandemic that people were having those discussions. So God mm-hmm. knows where any of it is right now. But anyway, all right. So Mark, yes. Um. So you talked a little bit about the one you're developing <laughs> right now, but you this is not the first one that you have developed and you've already sent out and published. So again, like what inspired you to start creating you know your own content and you know like what can you tell people about it is is gobsmack still available for people who still want it or was it kickstarter only uh no it, it is uh i what's got me thinking along these lines i've been working on a, a heist role-playing game for a long time trying to figure out a system that i wanted to, to do it with and then when uh when fifth edition was announced and they threw out a wave of nostalgia like a like a singularity you know in front of it uh it hit me right in the fields and i thought i'll look at this and uh that got me running it for my staff uh at the theater here and uh shortly after that you know i realized looking at fifth edition that okay this is this is content AD&D content's greatest hits this is everything good and not anything bad or for the most part you know with a few exceptions uh and and it there were some things about second edition D&D that that turned me off and they're still here and then third edition had some stuff that I didn't like and that's in there and so I realized early on you could tape off the parts of the world that you didn't like and make your own stuff. And then I thought, well, hell, if I'm going to do that, let's go back and get my old notebooks out. And so initially I was just taking stuff that I had written as a teenager and a young adult uh, into my twenties and fluffing it for fifth edition and updating it. And in some cases going, that's a little too not what I want to do. And so, you know, um, and then it became, you know what, though, this stuff is pretty cool. I wonder if I could do anything with it. And so I was trying to figure out what to do when Zine Quest happened. Um, and uh, 
I decided to put it in uh, some zines uh, called Monty Hall, which wears its, you know, it telegraphs exactly where this is from. This is all like 80s era uh, sword and sorcery based type things, you know. Uh, and so I actually premiered the the heist rules in number two, Rogues in the House, uh, and and got a lot of feedback on it. I had previously done... Uh, some work uh, on the Conan 2D20 game. Uh, in fact, I wrote a chunk of Conan the Thief and I used uh, an earlier version of the heist generator for that as well. And so uh, when Zine Quest 3 came out, I did Gobsmack, which is all of my goblin stuff uh, for fifth edition. And uh, I'm really happy with how this turned out. Uh, you could, you, all of this stuff is available at Drive Through RPG. Uh, if you search for the titles, you'll find it, or you can go to Human Gorilla Creations, and it'll all pop up. But the thing that I'm working on right now, uh, this is one of the playtest covers, is Polite Society. And so this is stuff that I've been developing and testing over probably 20 years. Uh, and I just finally decided this needs to come out in fifth edition. The final nail in the coffin was Dragon Heist. Dragon Heist came out and I thought, well, somebody finally did it. And I bought Dragon Heist and I looked through it and I went, where's the freaking heist? Ain't no heist in Dragon Heist. What there is is a map and guards and the thing you got to steal. And that's every dungeon ever. So um, it occurred to me that one of the biggest problems with um, playing a heist in a game, and, 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 and since then, uh, the leverage game has come out, which tells you how to play heist the leverage way, which is to say they use one type of thing and their, their template is sort of predicated on that. But uh, a lot of people love heists and capers, but kind of blanch at what goes into it so the system that i came up with is a way to randomly generate a heist as a as a game master you can do it in minutes and you can and it's playable uh and your characters uh you know you have to you have to kind of again you have to tape off a couple of things in DD to make it work and I, and it works much better in a low fantasy setting like thieves world and uh, Fawford and the Gray Mouser kind of stuff, anyways. But you could still do it high fantasy. In fact, I want to do, I want to actually do a book of dragon heists, heists for dragon heists for when you're doing heists because there ain't no heists in dragon heists. I don't, and here's the you can't call something a heist. You can't call it dragon heist and have there not be a heist. All right. That's just mean because if I see dragon heist, I expect, I expect the Mission Impossible theme at some point to play in my head. And I didn't get no Mission Impossible theme. What I got was wow, wow, and that's not the same thing, not even close. <laughs> so I have, um, so that's being worked on right now, and and I'm I've got a play test group, and I am putting stuff together um, for Zine Quest Four. I don't know, I don't think this is going to be in Zine Quest Four. I want to do this as a separate standalone book. The idea being um, uh, something that you that that game masters can buy and it'll you can slot it in and 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 run it as a as an existing thing um the system works i i'm really happy with it and nobody's this is the other thing everybody that's done 
heists and capers and stuff like that, they're still not telling people how to run that. How does that work? How do you structure that in the game so that it makes sense? So that's the, that's really the focus on it. It's really aimed at, at game masters. And so with that book, with Polite Society uh, comes like, here's how to generate a heist. Here's how to run a heist. Here's how to take that heist and 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 take the the fallout from that heist and turn it into other stuff. And so with that is going to be uh, character backgrounds and some some campaign rules. And then that'll be kickstarted next year. And if that goes well, and I think it will, the the follow up is going to be basically a world building book for your own world of thieves. So it's all of the. I, I decided I wanted to cut those, put those in two books because I think it's more important that I get the heist stuff out as soon as possible. And then if people really like it later down the road, a second edition can put all that stuff together into one book. But for now, this is a, you know, a way to do it. If you, if you just want to run a heist or a caper, you can buy this book and, and go, Oh, that's really cool and easy. Thanks, Mark Finn. Um, but uh uh, you can also build a whole thing on it where you've got a crew of thieves and they're doing stuff and uh, you know, the, uh, their actions have ramifications and people from their past come out to, you know, uh, tell them I need you for one last job, you know, do this and we're square. You know, it's right. all those, there's a, there's a whole set of conventions and um, very familiar plot elements that that go into a heist and a caper those those are the really specific storytelling elements and if you don't if you don't include those in the setup and you don't angle your game towards that you know it's you're kicking open the door and, and beating up the guards and taking the diamond and that's not what that's never what the heist is about it's never about kicking open the front door it's about going in through the roof or you know, making yourself gaseous and coming in through the vents or whatever the thing is, you know, so that's the, that's the emphasis. I'm really happy with what I've got. And I'm, I'm, I really like, um, right now I'm, I'm just basically reformatting everything into a play test booklet. Cause I intend to have people, you'll be able to download when you pledge, you'll get the, here's the working rules with no art, no frills, just there's the thing. Uh, and I and I, I'll take the Pepsi challenge with that because everybody I've shown it to has been like, oh, oh, this, you know. It's yeah, just, I mean, it honestly sounds like a great way to make an adventure without having to, you know, do combat, which I think is awesome. Well, that's right. the other thing, of course. A good heist, you know, if you do it right, you don't stab anybody in the face. Right. But uh, yeah, Mark, that's really cool. And uh, and yeah, everybody, like, let me know when your new content is coming out and I'll put it in show notes. I'll, you know, talk about it on the show Thank so you. that we can get that stuff um, out there. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, we have to call it here. I think there's going to be an RPG episode three if I can get everybody back because <laughs> I had a few other things that I wanted to talk about. And we obviously enjoy talking about the topic because we just keep going. Um, Four but, months later. <laughs> but yeah, let's say goodbye and let people know where they can find us. So let's start with you on that one, Kimmy. Uh, thanks for having me. My name is Kimmy. You can find me at Golden Lasso Girl on most social media. Um, if you're interested in the games I write, you can find that at goldenlassogames.com. Decima is available there. You can actually order the physical cards through there right now, which is fantastic and exciting. Um, but there's a very limited number of those left. So 
by the time you listen to this, maybe that's not true. I don't know. Um, <laughs> you can also find um, my other podcast that I do, uh, Happy Jacks RPG. We actually do streaming too. So if you're interested in that, you can find us on Twitch, uh, YouTube, or any um, and wherever you get your podcast, uh, Happy Jacks RPG. There's an if you're listening to the podcast, there's an AP feed and then there's also like the advice show feed so because we know people don't always like those things together um and if you're interested in nerdy music by the time you listen to this probably um you can find uh my band the mary sue's at mary sue's band on social media everywhere and hopefully by the time you look this up there's music there that'd be super exciting so yeah thank you again uh, it's been super fun to be here oh yeah and thank you so much for being on the show kimmy and if you need to run that, that's fine you can run while everybody else is saying goodbye take care Bye. Uh, one thing that I wanted to mention, but I knew Kimmy had a hard out is, um, you know, even though I don't have anything that's getting published, or at least not right now, one of the things that I liked about world creation, about creating my own world, is that almost always fantasy settings are medieval Europe. And I was like, I, I don't want to do, or, or, you know, you get the odd, like, oh, let's do like a Chinese Japanese thing, but it's like, it's like one or the other. And it's usually medieval Europe. And every once in a while, it's like, oh, let's do like a East Asian flavor kind of thing. And so one of the things like, I really, really love the Roman empire. I think Roman design aesthetic is like the coolest, like of historical, like design aesthetics and stuff. And so when I created my world, it's, it's what I call the Imperium Mons. Uh, it's it's dwarves. Dwarves have taken over this entire continent, and it's basically like a dwarven Roman empire that has conquered the elves, the humans, the orcs, everybody. They're all conquered by the dwarves. So you kind of set it up as the dwarves are bad guys, which are also kind of non-traditional because of the very rigid dwarven uh you know a hierarchical structure you know and gets into very autocratic you know like kind of idea and so um you know it's just again taking some of those tropes combining them with a little history spinning it off but like everything like the armor the way everything looks like there's gladiator contests like all that stuff it's like all the roman historical tropes are there in that in that setting but I didn't stop there either because the other thing that I don't like is even though a lot of like worlds don't have or they do have like a history per se, like they'll say like 100 years ago, this happened 200 years ago. The world itself hasn't changed much. Like people are still using the same weapons, the same magic, whatever, 100 years ago that they're using now. And so like part of what I wanted to do from the very beginning is not only are there other places, there are places outside the Imperium Mons, but there's also like a sense of time and like things have evolved and developed over time. Like, like thousands and thousands of years ago, it was the age of reptiles and it was dragons and kobolds and troglodytes and lizard folk and all of that, you know? And like, so not only has like life changed on the planet and again, yeah, I mean, I'm taking the fact that, you know, way in the past there were dinosaurs and crap, a little bit of Doctor Who and the Silurians kind of went into that idea, but like sort of the idea, the reason why reptiles hate you know uh the the humanoid races so much is because the earth or the world used to be theirs you know right. and so sort of having that like sort of mindset in it of the dragons went to sleep for a long time and they woke up and there's all these furry little things running around on their planet um so again it's it's just like taking away you know taking some of those things and you know kind of spinning them and making them different from like just sort of the tropish stuff and so I, i've yeah. had a lot of fun with this but i kind of know like how the march of the world will go 
and I kind of know how it went. And even though I haven't written all that stuff up, I've sort of like got it in my head and that could be like created as expansions and add-ons and stuff like that. So um, again, it's just, again, the creative juices part of it and just the part of being able to create something that's a little bit different that players aren't used to. And I kind of had fun with that. Um, yeah. That's but, something that's uh, that, that I'm actively working on with the Twilight Age is that each source book is a standalone piece, but each source book will also reveal a little bit more of what's going on in the world. And the idea behind it is that you can pick up any one piece and you just play in that world and you can have fun with it and you can have this little piece of information. But if you grab all the different source books or as my players have discovered over playing this world in a decade uh, of, of, of basically beta testing this idea, they have seen how this reaction over here will then have a ripple on this continent over here and, and stuff will change. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the big things that I did that I love is I've come up with the, what, what I call grand archetypes for almost every major race and how that grand archetype is actually perverted from what you think it is like elves in my world. Everybody thinks elves are like, you know, like the business, but I'm like, elves are jerks. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like if you, if you go back, like if you've never read the Silmarillion, like that's the thing that you take away from the Silmarillion. You think elves are the good guys in like Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. Like, oh, everybody wants to be an elf. Elves are just the worst. They're terrible. And I was like, okay, how can I turn that up to 11? You know, and so then like I came up with the idea of like orcs and I'm like, okay, well, what can I do with orcs? And like basically the way I kind of describe people, you know, I tell people in our world is like orcs, what you think is an orc is like 187th orc. Like if you saw what a real orc was, you would crap your pants because but these orcs are just these savage monsters that have and, and please forgive the terminology here, but they've raped and pillaged like, you know, you know hulking beasts do so long that what we consider an orc is really like a 187th orc or something like that mm. what we call a half orc would be like a 188th orc you know so it's like they're, they're so far removed from the original orc bloodline they're not what you think you know it's like if you saw a real klingon you just pee yourself right mm. like you know that kind of idea um but you mentioned dwarves dwarves have kind of gotten screwed in my world a little bit like th- there are great dwarvish cultures out there but one thing i came up with that i really like a lot is there is a, an island continent that is basically just one giant mountain and it's where dwarves were born. And that was basically where all the technology came from. That's like where the steampunk world is. And yeah. then they were invaded and they've been enslaved. And so these dwarven settlements all over the world, they're these grand, wonderful Tolkien-esque stuff. But the true dwarven civilization has basically been repressed for a couple thousand years because of the fact that they got enslaved. They Somebody showed up and nobody knows who it is. And they have enslaved the dwarven you know, species. Um, and they have been they've been stuck ever since and, and they can't get out of it. So you, you have dwarves and they all have this longing to go home, but nobody wants to go home because they know what's waiting for them there. Oh, I and did, the, uh... the other oh, I just wanted to mention the other major thing about my world that makes it really fun because mm-hmm. everybody, you know, traditionally, most people want to be casters of some kind. Mm-hmm. And uh, is that magic is regulated you you have to be basically like sign in with the government and say like i am somebody who is learning magic or this is an inherent ability that i have and disclose what you can do and be Mm -hmm. registered or you are illegal and so basically when somebody wants to be like i want to be a sorcerer or a druid or whatever actually druids are the ones like creating the insurgency against the government it's a whole other thing but like mm-hmm. whatever i'm like all right are you registered or unregistered because i mean that just adds a whole nother element to it is you got play 
players masquerading as other classes because they don't want people to know, you know, like what they are. You've got like all that kind of stuff in there too. So again, it's just a way of like shaking things up and making like the dynamic more interesting or, or in a way that right. you just don't normally play D&D, you know, so yeah. yeah. That's what the that's what the Gobs magazine is all about. I hate the way goblins are handled in Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, oh yeah, they're cannon fodder. They're, yeah, they're giving no it. flavor. Yeah. yeah, and uh, you know, every time I read folklore and 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 uh, history and stuff and mythology, goblins are cool and interesting and have all kinds of cool different things going on. Uh, and you know, that's actually something that I liked about, uh, the wizarding world of Harry Potter was that the goblins were part of the magical society, mm-hmm. you know, uh, they were end up, they ended up kind of doing one thing only, but that's because that was what they wanted to do with it, you know? Uh, and so I like that idea of goblins being an active member of society, which is why my goblins are urban goblins. And, and so all of the D and D stuff is, is filtered towards that. And I, I got to rewrite my, I got to put my goblin history in here and, and redo my, um, uh, uh, my, my world building, uh, stuff that I used for goblins. And, um, yeah, this was, I loved, I loved this book. I, this was such a fun thing to, for me to write. My buddy, John Lucas did the artwork in it. And, uh, I used some older sourced artwork as well. Uh, Bill Willingham, uh, did a uh i use one of his old pieces for the goblin king so i got some really cool stuff in here and i'm really happy with how it all ended up uh working out because i i think i think you that you could play these goblins as a player character and feel you know you're not getting the short shrift here you know so well yeah just you know anything that you can do when you're playing uh that's the best thing about this fifth edition stuff is that uh, and and they've even started putting out some some really interesting world books that show just kind of how you know what what you can do with this and how far left or right of field you can you can go with this and make it uh, truly unique. And 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 what's nice about it is that they're you know kind of keeping it all to one book. You know the epic Greco-Roman stuff uh, is one book the uh raven uh ravenloft stuff is one book you know and so uh you you buy it if you the eberron book is one book you know and so that's i was trying to do kind of the same thing with polite societies i want it to be one book i don't want there to be a you don't have to go chasing anything down if you don't want to um right yeah, that, and that's really what I'm doing with Twilight Age. Is I, like I yeah. said, like each continent, each region is its own self-contained right. area, and you'll get all these great plot points. And if you get all of them, you'll see a grand macro plot. Because and Nathan knows, I will seed stuff, and then I won't come back to it for like three years. Like, because we'll play these long games, and I'll be like, ah, we're gonna do this thing now, and, and then it'll come back. Like, wait, that thing that you did from like 24 months ago is now relevant? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, why? And I'm like, that's what happens in the world. You do something, and it takes time for it to you know grok out. So. I love consequences in games. Uh, yeah. I love that, that, that players, you know, you have agency, but with that choice comes, you know, uh, fallout consequences. Right. And I so like to call it reverb. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and, but that's the, that's the beautiful part of the, the heist stuff, you know, um, you know, you, you've stolen the nobleman's prized possession and given it to his ex-wife so that she has leverage over him 
he's not going to forget that. He may not know who stole it, but now he's going to start trying to figure out who did. And eventually right. he'll, you know, employ magical means to see if he can set it all up. And, and so, you know, um, all everything that's left on the table at the end of the heist, the GM gets to claw back and say, okay, can I use any of this down the road? And so you can literally build the campaign one session at a time and, and, and take seeds and, and use them for other things. And, and it, Ah, it just works really well yeah, yeah i'm actually probably oh i was just gonna say i'm actually probably gonna pick up your your book or you know join the kickstarter or whatever mark because uh yeah, yeah i actually have something heist related that i want for my next big epic uh campaign that i'm doing that we do every memorial day weekend so cool. um that if it's if it's available by then that's you know i, I think i would like it uh to look I'll through send you, you, got. you know what i'll do is i'll send you a copy of the um the rule book whenever i got the basic stuff set up okay yeah i'd appreciate that uh but now we really do have to wrap out the rest of it i just wanted to get in my word because you know i dabbled in the spheres that you guys are going into and you know it's a lot of fun for me also and i just wanted to just sort of mention that of like making the world feel more real but not only like have it built out in space but also built out in time and you know sort of turn the tropes on their head so yeah yeah. but i i had remembered one last book that I, I wanted to mention from earlier and okay. it's and this is just something that we're gonna have to go with and this is your this is your sign out man grim tooth oh, oh yes if yes. you know grim tooth yeah and i wish kimmy was here because kimmy would probably laugh her butt off right now but if you know grim tooth guys and we, you know, we should keep that maybe we should talk about our favorite supplements <laughs> for like a future thing sure but grim tooth is an agnostic it's a, it's technically an agnostic but it was made for dnd uh supplement series and it was called traps and the idea was uh, um at one point in dnd's history it was all about basically trying to scare the crap out of your players but still let them get through so that way they could get to the next thing right so they would come up with traps and monsters that would almost kill you but not quite and this whole book series was like screw that my traps will kill you yeah. and you had to be extremely smart to get out of them and so about every six years he would come out with like a new trap series he came out with one like i think it was, uh, maybe four years it was like 1984 1988 1992 and he would come out with one like every so many years it was always hilarious um and then at one point people asked him to do a light version survivable traps and he hated that so he did traps light um and then he eventually did something called the dungeon of doom which i think was yeah. third edition um yeah, it, makes the, it makes the it makes the tomb of horrors uh look like uh expedition to uh barrier peaks it's just yeah, crazy. It's right but, but it's, it's all been collected together now right like there's like a compendium or whatever that was re-released yeah yeah flying buffalo did that as a yeah it's it's all one massive uh thing which is which is great yeah and and wonderful uh certainly an inspiration on what i'm doing along with thieves world and the lankmar setting that AD&D came out with, which I feel is still the finest city supplement they've ever done by a considerable margin. So, all um, right. But yeah, with that, I, we really do have to wrap out here. So tell, um, tell me where you can find me. Yeah. Where can, where can we find you, Mark? You can uh, hit me up on the usual social media stuff. Uh, right now, if, uh, the the thing I want to push is, in addition to Drive Through RPG, where you can find me on Human Gorilla Creations, is uh, I have a free newsletter that comes out every week on Substack uh, for the North Texas Apocalypse Bunker, uh, and that's going to be sort of the heart of what I'm going to be doing next year. It's free to join, uh, and uh, you'll get one um, thing a week from me that's sort of like a rundown of 
what's been going on in my life. If you don't want to get that detailed about it, that's fine. Um, I'm at Finswake at uh, Twitter uh, and uh, also on, um, on Facebook. If you decide to come find me on Facebook, please do me a favor and mention that you heard it here on the podcast. I'd like uh, anybody that isn't following me uh, and would like to do so on Facebook, I'll be happy to add you as long as you remind me, hey, I heard you on the podcast. I, you know, I'm a listener or whatever. And, uh, and I'll be happy to add you to my growing list of friends and fans and family. So. Sean, say goodbye and let people know where they can find you. By internet, you can find me around. Um, most of the time, you can find me at Numaz, which is P N E U M A Z. Uh, you can't really find me anywhere else. I don't do a whole lot other than work on my Pop Cycle Bible stuff with my wife. Uh, you can, of course, find that at like facebook.com forward slash pop cycle or just type in pop cycle bobbles and come see me in person we sell our wares at various conventions you can come say hey um but yeah hopefully next year i'll have something together that we can then start to talk about uh, uh you know fantasy setting stuff so that'll be cool too but interesting times i'm really excited about the future you know so don't be afraid of the future be be excited by what you can come <laughs> up with all right. Well, uh, Mark and Sean, and of course, Kimmy, who's already left us. Thank you so much for being on the show. And we are definitely going to do a part three where we're going to talk about the remaining topics that I thought we could get into a single episode. Ah, you, 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 you optimist. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it for our second episode ever of Role Models. We hope that you enjoyed it. We hope that you are looking forward to our third and final installment. And you can let us know in a bunch of different ways. One way is to email us at everything at 42cast.com. Another way is to go to our website at 42cast.com. Another way is to tweet to us at 42cast or go on to our Instagram at 42cast. Or you can go to our Facebook at facebook.com slash 42cast. Or you can leave us reviews on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts. I've said it a million times, with Apple Podcasts, the more reviews we get, the more that they'll promote us on searches, so I'd really appreciate it if you would do that, if you have an Apple account. I also want to let everyone know about the ESO Network Patreon. It's a way to help all the shows on the network. You can get access to early episodes of some shows, exclusive episodes of some shows, and you can get access to whole podcasts that are just exclusive to the ESO Network Patreon. So that you can find that at patreon.com slash ESO network. And if you have something that you could contribute, we would greatly appreciate it. You can find me on two other podcasts. One is time streams where my friend Juliet and I are going through all of doctor who from the beginning. You don't have to buy the episodes to watch along with us because we explain everything important that happens in the episodes that we review, but you'll definitely get more out of it. If you do watch it and listen to us. So if you just want to hear our banter, you can listen to it that way, but if you want to watch along, you can do that too. There's also Legendary Forces, where Juliet and I again, but also joined by Joe, Ashley, and Corey, are going through all of Star Wars fictional media from the beginning. So that's comics, TV shows, novels, movies, of course, basically anything that takes place within the Star Wars universe. We'll talk about it. We'll get into how the, this media informs the Star Wars legacy moving forward. And we'll also talk about, of course, how good it is. How much did we enjoy it? So, again, that's Legendary Forces. And if that sounds like something that you'd like to check out, we would love to have you. In personal news, as far as watching and stuff, Beth and I are watching The Umbrella Academy right now, which is a show that I've heard lots of people talk about. But we're just getting into it. I really, really love it. 
It's got a lot of the same elements that I enjoyed in Doom Patrol, but I kind of like the presentation better in Umbrella Academy. It's really offbeat, it's really fun, and I'm really looking forward to seeing where this story goes. So definitely talk more about that as we continue. But otherwise, still watching the same stuff, Snowpiercer, Resident Alien, the DCCW shows, and all of that. And of course, you'll get episodes on those DCCW shows as the seasons end there, and we do those review episodes. Yeah, um, and then just still looking at the con scene for this year to see if I will attend any of the shows, but watch this space for more. And so that brings us to the end of this episode. Join us back next week when Eric and Julia Leewald and Larry Houston will be joining us. Yes, I have the creative people behind the original X-Men the Animated Series and who are the advisors to X-Men 97. They come on the show to talk about their new book, Art of the X-Men, but also talking about X-Men 97 and telling me what they're allowed to tell me about that show. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Hope you can join us for it. And until then, this is Nathan signing off. You have been listening to the 42Cast, copyright 2021. Got a question for the ultimate answer? Contact us at everything at 42cast.com. Theme music is Sharper Swords by Brandon Ellis. Check out more of his work at www.cityfires.com. The 42Cast is a proud member of the ESO Network. has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.